Hey everybody, this is Jason with Curious About Cannabis. If you're curious about cannabis like me, then get connected to the Curious About Cannabis ecosystem and let's learn together. Visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to join our learning community on our Discord server and you can participate in regular giveaways, dive into the latest cannabis research, connect with certified Curious About Cannabis educators, hang out in our break room with other curious minds, and more. Best of all, it's totally free. Just visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to learn more. Or click connect on the Curious About Cannabis app, which is available on Android and coming soon to iOS. If you want to support our work, consider becoming a Curious About Cannabis member and get access to on-demand lectures and courses, a members-only podcast feed that features exclusive episodes, early releases of episodes, and even extended versions of episodes, as well as merchandise and event discounts and more. Become a member today at member.cacpodcast.com. That's member.cacpodcast.com. And finally, special thanks to our current annual educational event sponsors, including The Workshop, CBD National, and Green Earth Medicinals. Your support has enabled us to develop some really fun and engaging educational events that help curious minds get connected to experienced scientists, clinicians, and brilliant minds of all sorts that are also curious about cannabis and passionate about sharing their knowledge with others. Your support has allowed us to issue tuition scholarships, discounts, and even free opportunities to passionate people that ultimately will benefit the most from it. So thanks so much for that. If you want to learn more about our Curious About Cannabis events, go to cacpodcast.com events. And if your company would like to become an event sponsor, visit cacpodcast.com sponsors to learn more. And with that, Stay curious, everybody, and enjoy the show. We must work untiringly so that our children are obliged, obliged to learn the truth. Because it is only through knowledge that we can safely protect them. You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis Podcast. Yeah, so let's talk about the... How far back should we start? I think we should go to 2014. That's a so, good so catapult. Talk, talk <laughs> about the, the hemp industry. Yeah, like what's happened, you know, since 2014 and then since 2018 when the newest uh, revision of the farm pill uh, passed and then, you know, kind of looking forward to next year and and forward. I mean, I don't know if people listening realize, but the farm bill is due to be renewed um next year so uh, we could see some substantial changes um or not uh, but probably so i think um so yeah let's go all the way back to 2014 can you paint a little picture of what the hemp world looked like back then well there was a few outlaws um <laughs> before i think I, I don't know if he actually started before the 2014 bill it might have been or right around because what year did Colorado legalize cannabis? What year was that? Or Denver and all that? Because that kind of precipitated a lot of this. Was that 2012? Uh, it was right before. Yeah. And so Colorado kind of, just to jump slightly ahead, yeah. Colorado had a 
uh, had kind of Denver started and then Colorado and Washington and around that area, Colorado also in that same time legalized hemp with it. Cause it's like, well, yeah. if we're going to have right, cannabis, cannabis, yeah, like what, well, come on. And which is, I'm like, bravo. Um, and so like, um, Oh, what's his name? Ryan Lawton in Colorado was the first person mm. I know of that did a commercial, tried to do a commercial crop in, uh, of hemp. And so that started and then chaos. You also saw like the, uh, CBD, <laughs> uh, starting to show up from overseas on Amazon and stuff. Exactly. In that, that 2012, right mm-hmm. before the, and I think that's kind of why the, like everyone's like, well, it's happening. Then the government was like, and then, and that all they really did in the four, 2014 farm bill that was like moving forward to that is that they just allowed like states to have pilot programs right it was supposed to be for research exactly um and what was interesting what's interesting to me is that i believe what was the exact wording uh i think like either business or like there was like business operations or something was listed as like something to research yeah and i yeah, think they yeah. meant like market reports or something <laughs> and but but it was People then took it as like okay i can have a business let's go yeah i can research running a hemp business <laughs> And so you started seeing it being sold and things, which is like, it's not like, is that legal? This is like, you know, at this point, seven years ago, you know? Right. Yeah. It's very different. Like, yeah. And it's like, is that what they meant? Or six years ago, you know, is that what they like? And, then and came, no one's like, who are like, It came down to what state you were in. Like yeah. in Oregon, you know, people felt really comfortable pushing forward because it was like, okay, there's not like Oregon fully embraced the 2014 farm bill and already had cannabis, you know, medical cannabis going and legalization on the, um, uh, on the horizon and everything. Um, so, you know, there were a lot of like protections if you were in Colorado or in Oregon or something like that, or across the country, um, with the exception of a few States, a lot of other States weren't really seeing much action yet. That was still illegal. Cause you, you, yeah. you had to have your state have and the federal bill only allowed the state to do it, and if your state did it, then you could do it. Right. Um, and still is essentially that. Yeah, like, you, 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 still, you still have to get your rules <laughs> approved. Um, like the state rules have to get approved and um, and implemented. Yeah, absolutely. Which is kind of a, an often um, underlooked thing, but like uh, in my home state of Mississippi, like it's taken them forever to get their, their hemp rules. Uh, so it's like just because you start the first bill doesn't mean you farmers can start farming. Right, yeah. Which is painful. It is, it is. It's really annoying because that's where you start getting into like just bureaucratic red tape stuff that's, you know, um, holding things back um, to some degree. So like at that point, you really only had a handful of states having programs but did. It was really limited. Um, we had moved, and honestly, that's when I moved to, to Washington. That was because they had legalized recreational cannabis and they had mm-hmm. started a hemp program um, and the research license program for THC as well. And so yeah, yeah. trying to, because being able to research these plants better with a better access rather than, I was a medical patient as well, but um, California was starting to, rest- because they were legalizing recreational there or about to. They started allowing, basically t- telling local jurisdictions that if they didn't, one of the laws that said if you didn't impose your own regulations mm-hmm. uh, locally by a certain time that you defaulted to whatever the state passed. Yeah. And so everyone, all these states basically, or all these counties in California started banning cultivation. Yeah. In the yeah. South, not so much in Northern California. Yeah, yeah. And so it was just like this really, it made it really difficult for your patients. And so like that, that combined with everything else and the new access for hemp, the new access for mm-hmm. Uh, research in the new medical and recreational markets in other states. It was yeah. like, I love, I love you, California, but... Yeah, maybe time to go. Yeah. So, and Washington had an early program, but it actually ended up having a lot of problems that 
you know, Oregon actually ended up doing better in terms of regulations early on. Like I think you were mm -hmm. speaking to, they they really bought into the state, the state uh, Department of Agriculture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really bought into the program. I feel like comparatively to a lot of states, that was my Colorado experience. as well. Yeah, like the regulators seemed excited about it, or not regulators, but like you know, folks with the ODA and, and everything were generally like very curious and excited and back in this time too in 2014 15 and stuff when people were talking about hemp it still was not clear where hemp as an industry was gonna go in the next few years like you know there were people focusing on cbd crops and stuff like that but there were also st still a lot of people kind of thinking that um you know hemp legalization was gonna be pushing um you know, like hemp fiber crops and seed crops and this sort of thing. And it took people a little while that weren't already kind of in the cannabis space to kind of wrap their heads around like what hemp was actually going to be. Because then you started seeing, I remember in Oregon, you know, uh, basically around 2015, 16 or so, you start seeing all of these farms pop up off of the side of the interstate and everything. And people are like, whoa, wait a minute. Like that looks like, that looks like medical marijuana. And, you know, it's like, what the fuck are those like short, bushy, resinous plants doing out there? And um, then people started to, to realize like, okay, this is just the same thing that we're accustomed to from, you know, quote unquote, the, the marijuana side of things. Um, but it's just high CBD and it's not really fiber or seed or well, and I like any that of these in a things. way because it kind of reinforced the entourage effect yeah, and those yeah. discussions mm -hmm. and these other cannabinoids that I kind of was hoping for because the recreational medical markets were so focused well out first on THC right yeah. and like kind of CBD in the medical started to but yeah. like these other cannabinoids from hemp it like allowed because you could just grow so much mm -hmm. yeah exactly that you, could, you could like do find things stuff. yeah and so it like I feel like like that's one thing I'm happy about with it is that like it pushed that. Yeah, and it it made people rethink what cannabis is, you know, of like what's hemp, what's marijuana, oh, it's all cannabis, you know, and that was like one of my early taglines for the podcast, you know, it's like some call it hemp, some call it marijuana, call it what you will, it's cannabis. Um, you know, that took people a, a while to clue into, but it then got people, it got the creative juices flowing in a lot of people's brains about what you could um do with the crop and i remember it was in 2013 i think is when i tried my first cbd dominant uh like cannabis flower that i got from a semi-clandestine dispensary in in oregon back you know prior to legalization and prior to dis medical dispensaries being legal um i remember it was um when harlequin first got popular when it actually when there were actually mm -hmm. high cbd versions of harlequin um because it was not stable and so harlequin kept being um propagated but the chemical profiles went all over the place mm -hmm. well i mean if you know breeding i mean basically every time you do that you're going to get everything from pure THE to pure cbd and yeah. all the ratios yeah, if you're in, in the, the middle F2s, like, <laughs> you know and and with and, one like that between, because exactly. it because it carries both so it gets yeah, it's like the breeders get kind of fooled because they make their F1s and they're like, oh, sweet, like we've got this high CBD crop and everything, but then they keep working with it. and it... Well, I mean, on that note, it's probably that, so this is kind of the problem that we've had in the, in the hemp industry in terms of, uh, 
you know, crops testing hot, mm -hmm. breeding. Yeah. This is a, or like, I mean, genetics are a huge problem in the industry for yeah. hemp and, yes. and this yeah. issue for this reason, because you can get a plant that tests at below 0.3, but because of cultivation of things, it might be that one, but carry, could carry yeah. a, a gene that when you re cross that population, or maybe in like one pop, one seed in that population is that, and one seed in that population well, is the reverse for THC. And so when you plant that crop, you're like, oh, this is, this is this. And then <laughs> I have been with companies that have suffered that situation where they've gotten bad seeds and ended up uh, dealing with like an F2 or F3, you know, generation that they didn't realize. And, you know, they hired me to like go out and test the field to get a sense of, you know, kind of where their potency was at and where the terpenes were at and everything. And um, when we sampled it and tested everything, uh, you saw basically, it was exciting for me, but not for them because it meant millions of dollars of loss, but you saw every chemical profile under the sun in that field. I mean, high THC, high CBD, one to ones, three to ones, four to ones, like six to ones, like all of the, all of these ratios and all of these expressions and growth habits. Um, I mean, it was devastating for the company, but scientifically it was really intriguing and highlighted like, you know, the lack of stabilized inbred lines for cannabis is like a serious problem that had like hemp is revealing that problem because it's cannabis at scale and we haven't seen cannabis at the scale that we're seeing it now um previously i mean there have been huge black market grows and stuff of course but like it's just a different ball game now oh i mean we did five i mean with hemp like a couple years ago we did five thousand plants an acre you mm -hmm. know and like that's yeah. just like like you know we were you know you know and then three and a half acres so we were bigger than any recreational farm in the yeah. state by yeah. factors yeah, yeah. like, <laughs> like that's, that's the difference of like the you know the impacts of these things and so you may be able to get away with you know unstable genetics in a smaller craft market and things like that but at scale like that's Clones devastating were our friends for that first year's crop to make sure we didn't end up in that position exactly yeah which is expensive it or, was you know it was very expensive that was our largest single expense it's an investment though in the sustainability of the the operation um which i think um relates you know talking about the trajectory of the hemp company like now we're touching on kind of the this learning curve period that the industry has been going through, still is going through, um, but you know, getting into that like preparation for 2018, like 2016, things really start ramping up with hemp. Um, 2017, people start kind of going all in, expecting you know the farm bill for 2018 to go through, which it did. Um, and then you run into an interesting supply problem that, that hits the market where um, a lot of people rush in and grow tons of hemp. And, you know, in 2018, things, you know, go through, they have all these harvests. And then farmers learn that it's a lot harder to move the biomass than they thought it would be. Well, that's the thing is no one had built out, there's no infrastructure, there's still very little infrastructure for yeah. comparatively for the size of an industry as it is. And so the extraction was just no one had contemplated that piece of it, really. Yeah. Not no one, but there's not just... enough people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and then so then you end up this problem where like I'd say ninety five percent of people didn't sell their crop that year. It was it was massive, and it it um, 
I really believe that that and also some of the problems. So in Southern Oregon, this like pretty bad seed problem happened in 2018. Mm -hmm. And then 2019, um, there was issues with the Valley crisis, you know, the uh, vaping um, um, adverse events and stuff. And so it, on multiple levels, it, it kind of shook things up a bit and you had all of this you know, first all of the CBD biomass and then a bunch of CBD like distillate and, and extracts sitting on shelves. And I, you know, I consulted with some of these companies that they were like, you know, yeah, look at our closets full of extract. Like, you know, we sell it regularly, but not in the volumes that we need to, and we don't know what to do with it. So like, I was aware that that problem was becoming prevalent. I had no clue though, that that would then lead to the emergence of this strange THC isomer market that we're in now. Well, that's that's what's interesting is like I yes I, as soon as the farm bill passed, I already and you and me I think it already even talked about yeah. Delta Eight at that point, and it was like I was like, well, I know where this is gonna go, uh, because the farm bill defined hemp yeah as all <laughs> oh god the whole thing was a correction but basically as all all like various parts of the plant you know but then yeah. and all cannabinoids ice isomers salts extracts yeah. and derivatives. <laughs> And I'm like, you just said all cannabinoids and all isomers, as long as they're not dealt specifically delta nine THC, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. do you? None of you are chemists, right? Yeah, you clearly don't understand that. Yeah, tetrahydrocannabinols includes, you know, at least like twenty five to thirty different like compounds that are understood right now. You know, that have been characterized and made it into the literature and everything. So it was intriguing to see that because it was like, oh no, like, oh no and oh yes, because I have to say that like even when that happened, I saw the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't the space that I went to because I saw other options and but I was talking to people to try it, like helping people who were, you know, and I shared right. some of the first conversion papers yeah, for yeah. that were published before other people on the uh, who was a Giovanni Appendino who's done so much cannabis chemistry yeah. work. And biodiscovery, he's a legend. <laughs> yeah, I'd, love, I'd love to be able to talk to him on the podcast. Um, and, and he's so very he, forward thinking too. Oh my gosh, he like he because I mean he's done like all like he was doing the breeding before like mm-hmm. for the rare cannabinoid and this. And uh, he's he's called out you know like the future of like semi synthetic cannabinoids. And, and well, stuff. that's what this paper essentially was yeah. the idea of is like so he essentially studied uh, the aromatization or you know essentially converting. CBD to CBN. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what was his goal because there's like, oh, we can use some, because CBN has medicinal properties Mm -hmm. just like THC, but it's less psychoactive. And like, how do we make a medicine? How do we make that medicine and avoid THC if we, um, but what I don't, I mean, I don't know if he realized or, or just didn't want to like say in the paper was that like, CBD doesn't just go to, to CBN. Right, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, like, uh, Raphael Meshulam and, and some other groups had shown even as far back as the 60s, you know, how you could take CBD to uh, Delta 8 and to Delta 9 and what the um, byproducts would be depending on... I mean, there were some great studies that have been done showing, like, okay, using these different solvents... Um, oh, exactly. these different acids and everything like well, what are you the, gonna get the cannabis um the delta eight versus delta nine versus um owned a Destron, i think for yeah the for nausea board. and vomiting yeah, yeah. for mm-hmm. kids yeah and that's like i mean incredible because i still think like delta eight should be used for for yeah, for chemo patients for yes. that purpose or people with nausea d- difficulties yeah no absolutely i mean delta eight um, Israel's done some some great clinical work showing the the clinical 
uh, relevance of Delta eight. And that's something I want to like make clear to people because with all the Delta eight, like craze stuff going on and the concerns being offered about, you know, contaminants and byproducts and stuff like that, like Delta eight as a molecule, like it's actually been studied more than a lot of other, you know, lesser known cannabinoids in the cannabis plant. And it does have recognized clinical value. It has been given to humans in clinical trials and studied that way. Um, and so certainly it's, it's a molecule that shouldn't like be demonized or anything like that. It's just all of the other stuff that comes with how it's entered the market. I yeah, think is the problem. Well, and exactly. And going back to what you said, it was like this uh, merging of new science and easier methods of creation of these things coming out and being shared across the industry at the same time that vast amounts of the raw product you happen to need to make it <laughs> yeah. were being available. And so you have this, like that synergy. And then you also have places where cannabis is getting more popular, but still hasn't been legalized. Yeah, yep. And, but like technically almost every state passed the same language that was in the federal farm bill, right? which then enshrined even in state laws, this Delta eight legality mm-hmm. or yeah. perceived legality. Well, not the long story. And you, and you have interstate commerce protected too. Um, that happened pretty early on after the farm bill passed. Well, the farm bill kind of enshrined that, which yeah. people didn't and it was realize tested. at first. Yeah. yeah. There were like <laughs> police departments and stuff trying to like arrest people. And like, no, that's not how this works. Yeah. Um, so it's been, it's been really interesting. I mean, that kind of, uh, yeah. and then, so then you have that format that, the problem is then you have these byproducts that you're saying like where they could be a problem, but, and so then because of that, and because you have States where even cannabis isn't legal and you all of a sudden have Delta eight THC legal, then you have like this response from the States and they're Mm -hmm. like, Oh no, we have to like now make that illegal because like, we're not even like cannabis isn't legal. And then once that happened, you have this chain reaction of like this arms race. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, which kind of also plays out in the synthetic psychedelic space. Yeah. Of oh well, the, or MDMA, where it's like okay, you make that illegal. We'll go to the next well, one. Well, we'll add on a little yeah. bit to that drug. We'll do change it this we'll way. We'll do delta ten now, or you know, we're gonna extend the carbon tail, make it THCP now, or exactly. Know. Well, and then they discovered THCP naturally, and You're right. And so once that happened, it's like now there's a legal argument to be made that it's in the hemp plant and some. Yeah, and so you have all these different cannabinoids being made, or like, and now it's like the THCO acetates. Yeah, yeah, which a lot of people (laughs) is something that's uh, been frustrating to me lately. Is like a lot of these products in the hemp market they're being called THCP, THCO, THCO acetate, but they're really delta eight THCP and delta eight THCO acetate, which is different than delta nine. And there will probably be delta ten, like you know, now that this mentality is going and they're chasing. There all are delta ten. Versions. Like there, there you are know, people you, selling it already. Are, yeah, like it's all. You know, I was in Texas these, and it was everywhere. Yeah, all of these varieties, these flavors of all of these tetrahydrocannabinols are are going to into the market and then you have hhc as well the hydrogenated um thc which i talked to um dr mark sheldon in our one of our workshops recently he was teaching and you know he he holds the patent on hhca you know the hydrogenated form of, of thca um and he was like, yeah, like none of the HHC on the market is coming from like anyone that I know or like that knows what they're doing with HHC. And he's like, it's not something that like should be rushed to market. Like you're talking about things that like we just haven't experimented with. He's like, yeah, personally, maybe I've experimented with it because I like 
have worked with inventing it, you know, and have tried it on myself. But he was like, I would never release that to the market. Uh, and so he was sharing, you know, just like his general concern for that. Um, no, no worries. Yeah, I'll figure it out. No, that's cool. Um, yeah. So, like, he's... Uh, so, back to hexavalent... Uh, or, the, yeah, hi, or hydrogenated hi, cannabinoids. Yeah, like, they, you know... This is... You know, this gets into the semi-synthetic, you know, kind of realm that Appendino's been talking about, where cannabinoid chemistry is, is moving into this direction where you have you use phytocannabinoids as a, like a base substrate to create compounds that may or may not exist in the plant. I mean, most of these things that we can imagine and invent, like nature has already invented, <laughs> you know, and we just haven't seen them or, or looked. I mean, that just happens most of the time. Um, so I won't, you know, I think, I think there are claims that HHC is, has been found in cannabis. I don't know if that's been repeated or how it's been validated because there aren't even, um, I'm unaware that there are HHC like standards. Um, there, Not that I'm aware, but there, 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 there are companies, so. there are companies making them right now. I know of that, like, I think, um, for analytical companies. Yeah. Like I think, uh, what's the company? There's some chromatography company that recently was, saying that they have developed standards and they're working on getting them, um, you know, uh, produced through an accredited lab. Awesome. Uh, I can't remember what the ISO accreditation is There's been a bunch more Schedule 1 uh, applications for licensing to make them. Yeah. So I, because I checked the Federal Register yeah, like and people, watched that. People to are, so people are, so it makes sense. I just don't know if they were actually like where that is. Just because yeah, you apply doesn't mean you're making exactly. it. Exactly. I think it's, it's still early. Like I think the tools are available, but they just have not been validated uh, the way they need to be to be accepted as a analytical standard. So within a year, we'll be there. Um, probably within months, um, we'll start to see it um, creep on the market. Um, but that just highlights, you know, this is like an awkward position the hemp industry has kind of gotten itself into now because now, in the press at least, the public facing world, like hemp is now getting all this coverage around THC, which is <laughs> strange. Um, but uh, that's one, you know, sort of one, one problem that's emerged in the hip market. But one thing I want to like backtrack on and talk about is CBD and something that you and I talked about um, when the farm bill passed and uh, when people were getting really excited about CBD was like, pump your brakes. What about the fact that CBD is an investigational new drug? Like, that means something. You can't just work with an investigational new drug and start putting it in food and supplements. Um, so let's uh, kind of dive into that a little bit because that's going to lead, I think, perfectly into talking about where the farm bill may go as well as kind of um, what sorts of uh, kind of activism would maybe be most effective in trying to help correct some of the issues that have been 
uh, kind of highlighted um, over the past several years. So uh, can you describe a little bit about why um, the fact that GW Pharmaceutical had gotten investigational new drug status on CBD before the Farm Bill passed, why is that significant and how uh, did it impact um, the industry once you know everything was rushing to market in 2018, 2019? Definitely. Um, so I guess an easy way to think of it, and then we'll get more complex, is first off is that there are things that may be legal to have right <laughs> that, that aren't legal to sell as a food yes yeah. or for some other use yeah and like a good example that i think people will be aware of is we've all either been in the gas station and seen pills that are sold as incense right or yeah. powders are sold as incense or bath salts yeah, yeah. and uh, the reason why they call it bath salts is because that goes in a water and not in your body or on your body because things like cosmetics even are regulated. So yeah. they sell them that way, but we all know that that incense and that bath salt is actually a drug yeah, and or some kind of compound that is used as a drug. And so, but that's how they're able to sell it in a way that like implies things without going Right, to... not intended for human consumption. Exactly. On the label. <laughs> and so there's those kinds of gray markets, and that's essentially where CBD is even till today. Yeah. Besides, as you spoke about, the improved drug. And the reason for that is it's complicated, but um, it gets back to like the history of the United States FDA. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so when we created all this, like, it's like, well, you know, the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act outlines what can go in. To those items <laughs> yeah um because we want safety standards because you don't want people to be able to make whatever because prior to that uh <laughs> people were utilizing things that were killing a lot of people yeah i mean you had even even well-intentioned um you know formularies and stuff where we're making sometimes uh tinctures that maybe had methanol in them and <laughs> other th other things that like you know, it wasn't even just nefarious stuff, but people were straight up getting poisoned and things um, that, you know, highlighted. And as the population grew as well, like the, the issue gets more and more substantial into the 1900s. Yeah. And so that's, I think we almost forget that um, prior to this, people were dying in large numbers from <laughs> the quality of the food. And so it's frustrating sometimes, but like without these regulations on food and medicine, lots and lots of people die yeah uh and so it's it's frustrating sometimes when things don't move as quickly or the way we want them to but there's a reason we have safeguards and so it's like i'm and that's the, the more i know the more the more i've been doing this like i've been on both sides where i've been like we should all this should just be allowed for whatever and like cannabis yeah. should just be legal and just everything and used any way you want and i'm like if you want to do that for yourself go ahead but making products that like he said like um that you're the gentleman who makes the you know who invented and had the patent for the HHCA. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'll do that for myself, and if I like, and if people want to take that, like, go ahead. But like, selling things, I don't. That's where it's like, like, because then you are risking other people's exactly, safety. Exactly, exactly. That's when you have responsibility for others. Yeah. And so, um, to that point, like the the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act basically states that once an item crosses a, a, the threshold of being an IND or having substantial studies, which is semi vague, okay. uh, and some of the other verbiage, but that essentially then that item. The Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act does not allow items to be used in foods once they're in that stage or supplements. Yeah. Well, actually, the 
Deshay, which is the 94 Supplement Act, specifically as a supplement portion, but it's yeah. like kind of the exact same word verbiage. Yeah, they're it, they're consistent with one another. Deshay just kind of better defined what a supplement or an herbal compared to a food, you know, supplement or whatever is. Yeah, and and it's specified the exact definitions for an ingredient and a, a um, an improved dietary ingredient and and all that and what you can say yeah. about the ingredients and all of those all said both but both bills state that none of those may contain an item that is a drug. right yeah i mean it's like uh, you know the way i explain it to people is it's as if you were to start taking tylenol and wanting to start adding it to um gummies and things like that and wanting to sell it like if you wanted to do that you'd have to get fda approval to sell an over-the-counter drug like it wouldn't be classified as a supplement or a food. Exactly, um, and which I, I agree with. I mean, and then there's there's borderline things where if it was a plant, you could theoretically make a gummy with a supplement now, which is mm-hmm. or like vitamin gummies. So there's always those weird in between things. But a lot of that applies to like plants that were grandfathered in. Oh, that's during the other the part of but, you know because and the FDA Food Drug and Cosmetic Act. Right. That's the other part is that just because something is in food doesn't mean that it's safe. It means that it was in use prior to the year that the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act was passed. And if for supplements, prior to 1994. Yeah, exactly. And And, and (laughs) cannabis missed both of those, Um, you know, primarily because of prohibition. Yeah. Because cannabis was such a big part of our culture all the way up into the 30s or so um, that if things had kept on track... Um, like that would have been a no brainer. Just or like if these other... bills have been passed prior to that era, right? Yeah, like you know, there's so many. You know, if you take some mint and make an extract and want to use it as a flavor additive or make a, an herbal supplement or something like that, like that's straightforward to do and not a problem because people have been working with mint for so long. You know, um, and with cannabis having been part of the USP and all the you know. You know been present in all these different formulations and stuff like it would have been a no-brainer if culturally there wasn't such a huge shift to excommunicate cannabis out of consciousness altogether you know like people literally don't have no you know people that there are very few people if any still alive that remember a time you know, where cannabis was like a, like just a well-known like thing that pharmacies had and stuff. I mean, what, you'd have to be like 90, I don't know if 90, could 92 be. or yeah. 93 or something. Uh, yeah, but would you even have memories <laughs> <laughs> of it? I mean, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to, you'd, yeah. And how old would you be? So, I, and then the way this interacts with CBD is that essentially CBD has been started in roughly 2000 and two or so or practically in the early 2000s gw started and started investigating cbd yeah for pharmacological activity and asking the fda for epilepsy research and that's what yeah and so because of that it kind of blocks cbd from being in food and supplements because the other thing is it makes sense if you think about it you don't want drugs in your food supply right uh, yeah. me, and so um it makes a lot of sense uh, in that regard, you know, outside of like the, there's things where there's then you have these weird interactions where things are both or yeah. can be both, and so it gets com- more complicated. But in general, that's not a bad. I don't right. Really... You don't want people to be able to just like 
put fentanyl in, um, <laughs> you know, all sorts of drinks and foods and stuff and have it circulating. So it's like, but so it's like these weird, complicated intersections that create these things. It's not like always people think it's a malicious intent or the yeah. FDA hates cannabis. Like, no, the rules are really clear. Like, well, and they don't the write thing. the rules. The, the, the legislature and the president and the right. The, and so when I hear people in Congress say that it's the FDA that's blocking this, no, you wrote bad laws. Yeah, like literally. I mean, there was no con- there was there was nothing to indicate that any of this was on their radar while um, these changes to the farm bill were being um, written up. Like they're well, what I would what say the opposite. Seemed- I would say it would, and that the, the people in the legislature intentionally did it this way because it actually has a section of the farm bill in 2014 that specific in 2018. Sorry, it specifically says nothing in this bill makes any alterations to the dish to dish or the FDNC. That's true. That's true. And so they specifically thought about that. it and specifically didn't want CBD in food. Yeah. They Congress and every person who passed this bill knew exactly what they're doing. In my opinion, they knew I think, I think they didn't want to deal with it. Did. They didn't want to deal with it. Yeah, I think I think some did, and I think some may have just been a little ignorant. Ignorant, yeah. Well, I'm like, how do you sign a bill without reading it? Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's. I mean, that's I'm, a I'm, sensible I'm, approach. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with it, but I'm like, I'm, I'm applying something else about them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's um, yeah, it's put us into a weird situation, and and then recently, you know, the news came down that Charlotte's Web applied for a, a new dietary ingredient status for uh, CBD dominant, you know, extract, and they were denied. Uh, by the FDA, and that caused you know quite a bit of stir in the industry. And you know, I pointed out on social media that like that decision shouldn't have been surprising. No, they've been saying this over and over and over, and nothing in the rules indicates it should be allowed. Um, and there's actually a bill, a few bills that have gone through Congress trying to fix it yeah. a couple times, which I'm like, some of them I'm like closer than others to like mm-hmm. a better or depending on your version of better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so like they, basically the goal now is I believe it's the hemp round table seems to be the group that's mm-hmm. the most focused on getting CBD into products or getting yeah. legislation passed around that issues. And the yeah. hemp group, the hemp industry seems more focused on the cultivation and farming and that side of the advocacy work. Yeah. More like the USDA. I mean, there's obviously overlaps, right, but right, right. it feels like that's kind of the spaces they're operating in primarily, mm-hmm. which is good. You need groups yeah. focused on things. Yeah, exactly. And those are two different, very different interests, like the primary producers, the, you know, the growers and processors and all that. And then the product manufacturers, like, you know, they they are heavily overlapping, but they do need distinct um, support. Support, yeah. And yeah. so, um, and so, like the hemp round table like, <clears throat> is from, and there are lots, lots, and lots of groups involved with this. So I'm not saying that they're by yeah, far yeah, anyway, yeah. but they're like the hemp round table is one of the leading groups for for this right now. And like, I think Joy Beckerman is still there, and she was like a huge advocate in starting the hemp industry in the whole country and here in Washington, especially. Um, she was the form, she was formerly w- with the Hemp Industries Association as the president, and then now is with the Hemp Roundtable. And, and then there's, um, oh, I'm probably going to, Jonathan, his name is Jonathan, and I can't, I believe, and I can't remember his last name, but is the leading attorney for, mm. or lobbyist, I don't know if the, which is the best phrase. But, Le- legal person, <laughs> legal focused person. Um, and he speaks a lot of the events like at the FDA and stuff like I have previously nice. for like yeah. I spoke. I spoke at the FDA hearing on yeah. CBD and food and things like for you know interacting with the government to try and you know fill in some yeah. of these gaps yeah. for them. And I was focused there on because you know 
to switch a little bit is like I was like already seeing these problems and knowing what was in the bill and knowing the FTC. Yeah. I was like, everyone else here is talking about CBD. I actually want to talk to you in the testimony was like about CBG and yeah. CBC and CBN and hemp essential oils and terpenes and all of these other yeah. uses for the plant that could be foods that don't have the IND difficulties. Right. Yeah. So while you're thinking about CBD, make rules for this because right. these are things you can protect actually... Them. Yeah, you could actually protect all the other stuff. Um, I also think uh, I've, I've had the opportunity to work with some like really smart, talented, um, you know, like uh, pharmacognosy experts and stuff like that that have been able to make products that utilize aspects of cannabis resins and everything that if it didn't have CBD in it, it would be just as effective because of the way that they're leveraging the rest of the chemistry. Um, and so there's an aspect of this too, that even if you lost CBD, which would be really sad and would suck for, you know, many reasons. Well, that's only for oral and beverages though. Right. Exactly. Like there's still stuff you can do and there's still a lot of potential in the cannabis plant. And what I worry about is that in, in line with kind of what you're talking about too, that all this focus on CBD, we're potentially also compromising everything else because this same problem with CBD is going to happen if something doesn't change for every other interesting component of the plant. Because it's, GW Pharma, already in their pipeline, has a CBDV pharmaceutical product. Well, it, it goes what about by the other companies? They're not yeah, the only company exactly. doing this. They're just the more like public-facing, like well-known players. There's tons of others. Um, most pharmaceutical companies at this point are investing in um cannabinoid drug pipelines well and if and, i if you were a big evil company i mean to me i would just submit inds for all the cannabinoids like right because you have the money then you, you crush can, out the food market and supplement market that could replace you that's i mean i think, i mean i mean that's evil but like it's a good business market well what i'm worried about, <laughs> what i'm worried about and this leads to like talking about the future if this doesn't get addressed and especially if like revisions to the next version of the farm bill if it doesn't take out some of the ambiguity that currently exists around like the THC isomers, because I think right now that's a big threat to the hemp industry because it's that all goes in a direction that feeds perfectly into any arguments against the industry and, and for excess regulation and things like that. And so I worry about that. Um, but then all of this, the stuff of like using CBD and foods and everything like the next version of the farm bill. Well, could, but there's could... problems with that that we haven't even talked about, about why I don't even disagree with the FDA. Right. Well, I mean... <laughs> it, it... I mean, so CBD can interact with the cytochrome enzymes yeah, really potently, can... which can cause massive drug interactions. And especially if someone's using CBD, like, every single day, repeatedly. Yeah, this isn't, like, small dose things. This isn't, right. like... It, but this is repeated dosing. And, like, when you start putting things in the food supply... Uh, and when people have a... Um sense that like the safety profile is greater than it is which i don't want to give people the wrong idea CBD's like really CBD's... really really safe by itself yeah cbd is extremely safe however it does have this effect of inhibiting liver enzymes usually at really high doses like with kids and epidiolics research it's usually around 10 to 20 milligrams per kilogram body weight but when you start making something readily available in the food supply in the dietary supplement world and everything like people are going to take more than the suggested dosage. Like 
or or serving size or whatever and they're going to possibly be taking it every day for years while they're taking other medications are they going to talk to their doctor about the fact that they're like consuming these are know? all of my fears and it's it's yeah. complicated i'm like I, i'm fine. like do the same products just do it like we do alcohol or like supplements like supplements i think are a perfect category well like people, <laughs> there's people, even medicate supplement beverages yeah I mean, like it's people, a great i think that's the perfect category for them people act like supplements aren't regulated and i always get frustrated with that because i'm like man like cfr 111 for <laughs> at least yeah. just just for like production of dietary supplements like you know it requires strict um Master manufacturing records and batch manufacturing records. It requires strict supplier evaluation, ingredient testing. You have to verify if you're actually complying with it. You have to verify (laughs) the C of A's that you receive from vendors for ingredients. You don't just like trust. Well, so, and that's where the, to me, the things that need to be added more are the teeth. Mm, yeah into the shade. Yeah. That's the only thing. Well, I mean, and it's sort of purposefully left loose. And that's with all of Well, because industry stuff. fights it otherwise. Yeah. I it's mean, that borderline. It's like, and it's not like I want to cripple an industry, but it's just like when there are bad actors, we need to be able to do something. Right. And the hemp industry is highlighting that, like, if it's possible for someone to do something <laughs> and exploit something, they will. And, you know, uh, going back to the, like, the quality issue, you know, in the hemp industry, you have two sides. You have really brilliant scientists making amazing products that are really pure and clean and like next level pharma grade, you know, stuff. And I see that and I try to associate with those people and I like, you know, learning from those people. But that that's like 5% of producers. And then the rest is largely amateur chemists that are interpreting you know, recipes off of the internet, which if you want to do that for yourself, like that's one thing. But when you're making products that's meant for distribution throughout your community and everything, like there are quality and purity standards you absolutely must adhere to because you have a responsibility uh, to your community and the safety of these consumers and everything. And so, you know, you have a lot of these amateur chemists without a lot of good lab experience around uh, quality management and uh, analytical testing and all the nuances around that because it's not just enough to say, okay, I need to test ingredients or finish products for purity, but you also need to understand the nuances of testing so you understand how to interpret the data and you know how to, how to know what you don't know, basically. I mean, a good example of this is something that I've even run into and it's uh, is testing for rare cannabinoids when we're doing experimentation and discovering that communication and if you don't ask for the right if, right yeah, yeah. and if you don't know details important. on the analytical equipment that the people are testing with and you ask for a test so lo- i'm looking in you know looking and i've been looking for cbc yeah yeah and <laughs> like if you're looking for cbc and flower though you don't communicate correctly and you then they do an lc test and look for cbc yeah or, and or, like, I mean, that, I guess I need to explain why that's a problem to yeah other yeah, people. yeah i think that's because i'm gonna like just be like yeah and, yeah go for it uh so with chroma- when you're doing chromatography, LC or GC, to analyze and find compounds in something, uh, with gas chromatography, you generally have, for samples like that, you have to heat them to create the gas phase. When you do that, you have decarboxylation of cannabinoids, because yep. all cannabinoids start in their acidic form, THCA, and then it gets the carbon is removed, which it then becomes, you know, when you're heated and that bond breaks, and then it goes from THCA to THC or CBDA to CBD and so forth, or in this case, CBCA to mm-hmm. CBA. Uh, and 
or from CBC, I hate to CBC. CBC, yeah. And then um, the difficulty is that without knowing that they were using LC instead of GC, like that one communication mistake, I got a bunch of testing done. And then afterwards, there was none found. And then I realized and that they were, CBC, and I saw the data testing and saw they were using <laughs> LC. And I was just like, did you check for, like, they, you know, was there a CBCA? And like, no, we don't have that standard. And yeah, it's like, yeah. Like you just wasted all this. Like, yeah, like, yeah, I know. Yeah, well, that highlights, you know. And um, I knew what I was doing, but I just the and it was early on. It was one of those things where I just you don't like. Yeah. I know what I'm looking for. They know what I'm looking for. I assumed that they yeah. like that. Would, well, and in the early days of testing too, um, which I need to do an episode because they had a GC, just talk so about I didn't know the, why they didn't run it on the GC. Yeah, well, because. It's not common that people no. actually want that um, anymore. So I'd love to do a whole episode about like the history of cannabis testing and and that whole side of things. But um, so it's just it's just it, it's interesting because all like all this era of like it was, all these things are like with hemp is like all these new cannabis, all these things like yeah. that's going to keep happening. Well, and like, <laughs> you know, one lesson to learn is in the early days of cannabis testing between like. You know, you started, you know, labs kind of started coming online in like 2009, 2010, but like you really started to see more commercial services around 2013 or so. And between all of that time, all the way up until probably 2017 or 2018, most CBC data is like totally unreliable because there was a an issue where a lot of labs were having trouble in their early method development of differentiating between, um, you know, CBG and, and CBC and some of these other cannabinoids, a lot of times they were Well, and some of the THC isomers were showing up as CBC. Well, and in the early, early days, like, like really, re- in there, that era. there were really only reference standards for THC, CBD, and CBN. Um, and so... Yeah, CBG came to, around pretty quickly, but then that was like the next one. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I'm talking about. Like the standards, uh, the reference standards industry for, to support cannabis grew with the industry. So... You know, there were these periods of time, and they will continue to exist as new things, you know, there's new interest in other cannabinoids, but there are periods of time where you don't have the standards you need to properly quantify things. And back in the day, labs were trying to understand, like, just what consumers wanted and what to report. And so there wasn't a mature sense of how to report data or... And customers were asking for data in ways that was not typical of a natural products testing lab. Um, you know, they wanted pictures on the reports, and they wanted um, they didn't want to see a lot of QC data. So it was a weird time of like, how do I get this data to somebody in a way that they actually value it? Um, so you had a lot of problems in the early days of the cannabis testing industry. But one was that um, you had to do a lot of identification of other cannabinoids just by looking at reference chromatograms <laughs> from papers that you were replicating the methods of and trying to estimate retention times and uh, like knowing what peaks Well, this is here, and this is here. Yeah. So... And that led to a lot of bad data. And, you know, pretty much no labs were accredited back then or anything. And like we didn't start building our lab until 20... I came on board in 2014 when I started building Kinevere Research. Um, Anthony started in 2013. And that was like, you know, our mission was to try to clean up some of the problems that were were going on in a lot of that method and to participate. Like, you know, we wanted to help develop these methods and 
you know, we developed some improved GC methods and, and HPLC methods and stuff. But like, that's the stuff we saw. I was like, oh, holy shit, it's really easy to report CBC as CBG or CBG as CBC or, you know, depending on like what mobile phase is or what you're running on. And, um, and so a lot of that old data, you know, it's a lot better now, but there's still issues, especially around terpene data that oh, I have God, a problem it's... with. Well, and then you get into stereo isomer. Uh, like we were talking about, like, we didn't brief, we were talking about this before. We've talked about this numerous times. They're like, all the chemists are like, uh, with the terpenes, it's like, like everything, the whole group was like, the, the whole chirality of that's just going to be a, a problem for a while. Right. Like a lot of labs are. are <laughs> it's so hard. Really... I don't even know how you, like, it, we're going to have to see a technological change in analytical chemistry and, and or costing of something to, to, Fix this. Part, part of it's a cost issue. That's what I exactly. Yeah, that's what I mean. Because the like, tools that would really make it much more simple to get accurate data are just expensive. Honestly, commercial labs are suited for commercial focused testing, not investigative research testing. And that was a hard lesson for me to learn um, because I was very interested in investigative research, and that's what we were trying to do with Kinevir Research. Was like. Yeah, we want to do commercial testing, but really we're interested in research. And that was always research and education was always our kind of like background, like main focus. Um, but the way things are set up and uh, like with testing, there's a race to the bottom on pricing and stuff because Completely. you're competing with labs that like have no idea what they're doing and don't understand the cost of quality and everything. And so they're issuing you know, full panel pesticide potency microbiology testing for like a hundred bucks or 200 bucks <laughs> or something. And, you know, I was coming out of a space, you know, having spent so much time at like the university of Mississippi and seeing the natural products lab there, understanding what it takes to do things right. And I'm like, okay, turnaround time should be at least two weeks. Like really a month is what customers should expect. And cost should be between 500 and a thousand bucks. And, you know, and then coming into the industry and it's like, no, no one's going to pay that. And no one's going to wait that long. And so you, then you're like, okay, well, what, how do we get the price down? Um, and so that influenced a lot of that data too, because, um, you know, uh, labs ended up not having the resources to do what I think would have been the more important work to do at that time, which was just tons of investigative research and method development. But when you're only able to charge a hundred bucks for a test and the client wants it back in two days and everyone acts that way. And if you don't figure out how to do that, you basically go out of business. Like it totally ruins any chance of being able to do that important work, which now there, I'm interested to see like UC San Diego has the center for medicinal cannabis research. Mm. I'm really interested to see what happens there because they're going to do some good work. I hope I, I think so. I'm what I hope to see. I don't know what their plans are, but what I hope to see is that they're able to support the industry to do some of that investigative, uh, work and better method validation and everything. Um, to address the data, you know, uh, problem that we have. And God, when we start talking about terpene data, I'm like, Ugh. like yeah. there's the, the isomer problem is one thing. Like, okay, you're reporting limonene. What limonene is that? And how do you verify that? Um, you know, uh, but also just the methods themselves, like there are biases that can be introduced with terpenes depending on how you dial in your methods. And it's something that there's an old podcast episode i did i think it was my ninth episode with uh justin fischetic oh he's great oh yeah yeah, yeah, he's done a lot of great like terpene research and stuff and he's actually back at it now he 
um, didn't work in cannabis for like a year or two or something. He did some of the early work on the isomers. He did. Like he's done a lot of great work trying to understand, um, you know, on a technical level, like what terpenes are in here. And he comes from a broader medicinal plant background. So he's, he's looking at it, you know, kind of with a shortcut view of that. And he worked with Arno Hazekamp, and so like oh, yeah, you know, yeah, Arno yeah. invented the chemovar concept and applied it to cannabis and stuff. So, um, you know, we we talked about this, like how does the method? And he was like, depending on how you do validation, he's like, you can do liquid injection methods, you know, basically where you you know make a liquid extract of cannabis and test it for the terpenes. So he's like, or you could do headspace where you make an extract and put it in a vial, heat it up and extract the uh, vapor, you know, off and test that, which is really common. And it's like, if you validate it properly, either method will work. Problem, you know, as when we talked about through that conversation is that labs often don't actually validate their terpene methods. They just adopt what is commonly used. And because it's not required for accreditation in most places, the vast majority of labs, I guarantee you, I can't like say definitively because I haven't visited every lab, but I guarantee you that almost no labs are validating, truly validating their terpene methods. No, there's probably only a handful. I mean, it, honestly, yeah. some of the, the best lab I've ever worked with is a lab in uh, Canada and it took, only could have samples, but they were... There's some, I mean, there's some oh my, interesting stuff going on in Canada when it comes to labs. Because, they, I mean, they could just do more, but it's also like they're doing... They do that's a natural products lab in general. Yeah, exactly. Like said, the carbons cost more thing, but it's but like the the sheer volume of compounds. Yeah. Like you it's pay, like you <laughs> pay for it. I mean, if the industry really wants cannabis testing labs to give them the type of data and service they really want, they've gotta pay for it. Like and that's the bottom line. And you've gotta get more patient. Like labs can totally validate methods to test for dozens if not a hundred or well, more cannabinoids. Well, I had to work with and... labs that like, after that one experience I had to work with another lab Amber at, at Medicine Creek and she's yeah. with the ACH so you know American Chemistry Society yeah. so of course she I, it was like I should have just come to you first. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, we, had, we had people, you know, back in the day at Kinefear and stuff that would come to us and want us to do like flavonoid testing and stuff and we're like cool, we're totally down but like that's a project you'd have to pay for just because exactly it's not... she couldn't add more like they were already working on expanding that panel to include cbca she was like yeah but like it's not ready and so like, they and had to validate time. the methods it takes resources she's like I'm, we're working on that so when it's ready we can and so we did and we did some stuff with them like they're great i, I mean obviously like, i like yeah. they're doing some of the best in washington some of the best work and which is good because washington has especially had a uh yeah. labs <laughs> like well everywhere's had a problem with labs but washington let it go way longer than made sense it was weird because like washington had been going at it longer than oregon had in terms of labs um they just there's been there was just no regulation of it at first it yeah was, i know it, it was, just it's it like was, hey here's a license have fun yeah it was just kind of trusted and then you start looking at like meta-analysis of the data coming out it's like Jim wait this, this lab was... didn't fail anyone for microbiology this lab hasn't identified a pesticide ever in a sample like yeah it's still not required to do pesticide testing in the state that's bizarre to me. I did not realize that. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's my <laughs> biggest bane of existence. Oh my gosh! No, boo, boo, boo. it's infuriating. Oh my. Sorry, God. sorry. Things that like just when you start. No, it's yeah. Nine. Grind your gears. Like what? Why? There's a yeah. list of things. Well, Colorado like... was kind of like that for the longest time too. Like they didn't really do much regulation on cannabis testing or pesticides for a really long time. I remember there's they... regulation, but there's like without testing with the. 
Right. Like how how's the accountability gonna be there? Um, Sorry, just it's it's like, no. I mean, it's like you want to just like smash your head into a wall sometimes, right? Because like... yeah, and a lot of this is just kind of helping people see the problems because when you're in it and you're directly interacting with it, it's a lot easier to like you know maintain awareness of these things, and it seems obvious like yeah, like this needs to change. But for like consumers and stuff that are disconnected from the product life cycle and the regulations and all that sort of stuff. Um, it can be challenging to understand like why, you know, a lot of consumers just know like, oh, there's testing. So like if there's testing, then products are tested, which means they're good. So like why well, I've question learned that this else? goes back the other direction and these same issues exist in our food supply. Mm-hmm. So that's the other mm-hmm. thing is like I keep talking, we're talking about cannabis, but like it applies this is to awareness everything. to everything yeah, we yeah. eat. And like I can mention about the food, I was like, that doesn't mean that like other foods are safe. Right. It just means <laughs> right. they're grandfathered yeah. in. It yeah. Just, yeah. Like, exactly. And then all these same problems exist in food testing. Yes. And yeah. you'd be surprised yeah. cannabis is tested still more than your food oh yeah yeah way more and, <laughs> you know and a large part of that is is the inhalation component yes um, it's because your stomach can digest a lot yeah yeah your your acid's good at <laughs> your stomach and your liver and your kidneys are actually really good at their jobs and you know for a lot of i mean the problem is repeated assault like when when people are exposed you know uh, toxic compounds to their body constantly in food that becomes a different story um, but yeah, when you inhale, you don't have that protection. Um, but it is, it's creating a lens into like thinking about other things. And these days, that's to me, the most exciting thing about cannabis is like, okay, all these things that you're like passionate about understanding with cannabis, like, okay, now turn that around and look at everything else, you know? Exactly. And I mean, food, medicine, yeah, farming, yeah, permaculture, yeah. Uh, regulations, law, like there's just like, everything in our life, all of these things, like, it's interesting that people that are so worried, or want CBD and things like, then like, will the other things, decisions they make, and I'm like, <laughs> no offense to anybody, but it's just like, it's, it's interesting the things like, I want organic cannabis, and I'm gonna go to McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, again, we all make decisions, I've, I've probably done that. Oh, I was about to say, that's why I don't advocate for organic cannabis. <laughs> I maintain my consistency by just consuming all bad things all the time. I'm more no, of just like really. label it what it is and give people the option yeah, to pick what the they thing. want yeah, because exactly. some people want a cheaper price point. And there's like, I also am not like organic, everything has to be organic. Guess what? Like um, when it comes to like a mineral, like it's really, it's the most things where it's just things like. without carbon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, um, guys, I don't know if you can legally, like, well, and there's, you well, know, like the they're definition organic, of organic, they're organic pesticides about increasing but, carbon in the soil. That's the definition of organic. Yeah. Well, like, and we're supposed to be, they're armory <laughs> listed organic pesticides that you absolutely do not want to consume. Well, that's the other side is just cause something's natural doesn't mean it's safe. Right. And so that's or like ergot, like we've talked about before, like ergot is yeah. natural, but that can very well kill you. Well, and it's like, I, you know, I <laughs> joked about like not advocating for like organic cannabis. So that was definitely a joke, but a foundation of that joke is that I get I get caught up on organic being this kind of like hyped buzzword, and I know lots of people that actually don't pursue organic certification and everything just because they're like, okay, what like so I can use other things that people should still still should not consume <laughs> that yeah. uh, you know systemic pesticides and translaminar pesticides that actually are going to hang around in the tissues even longer than the contact pesticides like you know uh, and so I have a lot of grower friends that are very like permaculture oriented and everything that you know they're just like 
we try to use compost teas and not use anything. And, um, and so my joke kind of like hints at, at that because that's, that's usually what I go for is I, I also don't like consuming things that have organic pesticides on them either. Same as much as I, it's the, like his, you know, there's a lot of things that are, well, what's it random side thing that I've actually been curious about is like, so there's that time where like, Perethanoid compounds in CBD were kind of like right. showing up to you, like that's where CBD would show up as like a perethanoid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and which I still so, haven't completely seen resolved in some sense. Like, so there's a, um, it, it gets easily resolved when the proper technology is used. Well, that, to, so when you start using LC triple quad, then like that goes yeah. away completely. But um, that's the thing, not everyone's. Yeah, I mean, depending on what state you're in, yeah. yeah. If you're in California, Oregon, that sort of thing, like, that's no problem anymore. There's places but, that aren't. Yeah. But it's also, this also highlights, though, an important thing that I really like to point out in my uh, intermediate workshops that I teach, which kind of, like, go over, like, a really broad survey of science on, like, the product life cycle, life cycle and everything. And one thing we point out is, it's like, okay, take these cannabinoids, like THC and CBD, now look at these molecular structures of all these commonly used pesticides. <laughs> look how darn similar the molecules are. And like we use this as a jumping off point to talk about several things. One, to talk about like why uh, cannabis or cannabinoid extraction also grabs a lot of pesticides. Why is this really remediation is difficult? Yeah, because the, these compounds are very, very similar. It also means you into, can't remediate. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah not worth it um you know the the final yield you have is is like nothing it's just well, costs like you the, more money than it's worth i've had some uh, personal experience with uh, pesticides <laughs> i don't want to get too far into with yeah. crops from that i'd never sold because of it and uh there's some that there's not even methods for yet yeah i mean it's I mean, like it's a pain in the and you and a couple people tried and all you do like in small samples and you end up concentrating everything because yeah. you're removing other things right. and not the pesticide. Yeah, if you're not. <laughs> so, yeah, it's and then there's some things, you know, you get these interesting relationships between molecules sometimes. Like, oh, yeah. The common examples like azeotropes and stuff like between ethanol and water where once they get mixed, they're like very hard to separate apart. Like they just want to travel together wherever they go. Um, and you get relationships like that between cannabinoids and other fatty compounds that are similar enough in molecular structure and everything where they just have a lot of affinity for one another. Um, and breaking that apart is extremely challenging and you can almost never do it efficiently. It's one reason why testing edibles is so hard. Yep. You, you mix cannabinoids in with other fats and stuff and it's like, yeah, good fucking luck. Like trying to get a clean cannabinoid fraction. products and things. Yeah, and, yeah. The things that are like, um, like liposomal products and things. It's like, know. how do you even, some of those things, it's like the validation methods is going to be so complicated. And that's you like accept, why. You accept a high level of uncertainty. Like you have to, like, you know, you validate the method recognizing that it's um a certain degree inaccurate see that's the thing and like the reason i like speaking about the farm bill and hemp and the whole industry now is like, t like as we're talking about these things is like in the going into now kind of what we what the future is i think these are important things to um i think to change and i think that the coming into 2022 mm -hmm. the new farm bill coming that like the USDA put out their rules on testing or how they interpreted right, right, the farm right. bill in yeah. terms of what that means for testing. Which and is where total THC ends up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Exactly. And that's a, and which I mean, I think is also one of those things where it's like the original farm bill kind of implied in 2018 uh, and people like argued and argued and argued <laughs> yeah. and argued. And it's like, you're not, I know what you guys are trying to say. That's not, 
yeah, what it says. It will never be interpreted that way by any federal entity or judge. It or, only says in the definition delta nine THC, but then later down it defines how you test for, for delta, delta nine THC, THC. Yeah, exactly. and it explains that in the same document. You have to decomposite <laughs> THC, um, which I mean, it, it, yeah, and which interesting. But then you had states like Tennessee, which didn't require it at first, and they allowed. Mm-hmm. You know, it was only THC. Oregon, Oregon was like that too. Oregon, um, at the very beginning for the 2018 season, and maybe even the 2019 season, I don't remember, they uh, strictly maintained their... So basically what happened is the Fed said, states that already had 2014 programs in place, you can maintain your definition while you transition Yep, and, the, the pilot programs, yeah, the so 2014 pilot programs to the 2018. So that's what Oregon did, was like, okay, we're maintaining our definition from the pilot program, which was Delta 9 THC. Um, With no, like, extra rules. And that, and that allowed them to prepare farmers, because uh, people were freaking out, obviously. I mean, it makes sense uh, why they'd be freaking out, because it's easy to pass if you're just focusing on Delta 9 THC. Oh. A, lot, a lot harder when you're focusing on total THC. Oh, God, yeah, because especially, yeah, because theoretically, almost none of it, sh- very small amount of it should be decarboxylated. Yeah, exactly. You could get yeah. some, you might be able to like get, you could, you you might get, get some like regular cannabis t- to pass. Well, people did back in the day, like that was in like in the like 2014, 2015 days. I know there were black market people that were straight up growing high THC cannabis that were just smart and realized that loophole and took advantage of it for at least a season. Yeah. I mean, that, that stuff happened. In those states, yeah. Like, well, in, in Tennessee, I know people were. Yeah. So it's like, you know, that got buttoned up quickly. And like you said, people still argue about that. But um, I think that when it comes to the new farm bill... All this will get resolved, uh, I think. I think so. I really think that... It's going to kind of, like, that's what I think none of these other bills that have been tried yeah. are passing. I think everyone's like... That's just, that's just going to go into that thing. Yeah. Well, and it takes so long to get through these processes, too. And it's like, well, why don't you just wait one more year for the farm bill and then see what needs to be adjusted after that? But I really think that, you know, talking about these THC isomers, I kind of suspect they're going to change the definition of THC to just tetrahydrocannabinols. That's what I would imagine. That or, would make it consistent with the DEA. Yeah. And so in, in the UK, for example, their definition is cannabinols. Which then, that even includes CBN. And it does there. And, and I could see yeah. that happening because if you think about it, CBN is actually is a CB1 receptor agonist. So in, if you're trying to get rid of psychoactive-ish compounds, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm not C- saying like, it makes sense. Into... CBN is a weird one, though, because it's like, oh, it's if the... you administer it by itself, it really doesn't do much of anything. No. But, like, but the second it's in the presence of something else, that's when it seems to start like. But even then, it's not even that... It does, but it's not that. It's, it's not, not that. that it's not. It's not that potent. No, it's very. I, I mean, I'm, it's one of ones I'm curious about. But there's a reason I still have five grams of it upstairs. The only evidence pointing <laughs> to it being um, sedating is research from like the 70s. I know, or something, and it's, where always, it's like not really that good of evidence, even in this. No, it's only when administered with THC, and so it's. Yeah, there's a lot unknown about CBN. And- That's one of the ones that it's been frustrating me lately. Like about like it's like the Mersin, uh, you know, blood brain barrier or CB1 yeah. activity things. Yeah. You know, with THC, like oh, stop <laughs> it! Like there's like these things. Just, <laughs> CBN makes you sleepy. CB right. Mersin makes you. Sleep. Oh, I hate those charts that are often in uh, dispensaries and stuff that yeah. list all the cannabinoids and then like have all of the effects and yeah. dots laying on. And so it, it gives you this. Uh, 
you know, implied, you know, thing that you're supposed to look at that and be like, okay, what ailments do I have? Oh, I want to grow, grow my bone density. Okay. So I need this cannabinoid to be in this product or whatever. And it's like, that's just the total, like, like it's wrong on so many levels. Well, I mean, it also is like when your bone's broken, you actually need bone formation and remove, like the, uh, the, the, the two different cycles and like it's all these like, like and, you're, and you're like, yeah, there's, there's so many different types anyway, of but yeah, too, like, yeah. too many rabbit holes, but like, but I do think you're right. I think it's going to be something around either like, I don't think our government's smart enough to even think about CBN. Yeah. So I think it's just going to be tetrahydrocannabinols. I think that because the but then, the DA is already using that term. So I'm curious about like THCV in that case. I know. Yeah. Because that's when you get into like, the variants and the t- or THCP. I would assume. Or that just they like would those all, ones uh, would well because those aren't cannabis the tetrahydrocannabinol. They're tetrahydrocannabinol. That's why I'm like right. Yeah. Like does that in does or it in all the that acid, that, uh, derivative? That's stuff, again. Yeah. Like I think we're. I think what'll be interesting is we'll end up in a situation where they probably will go tetrahydrocannabinols mm-hmm. and then we'll have yeah. <laughs> we'll have THCP the, still like, legal and then or maybe they will think to like I guess it depends on how, how aware of things that aren't THC mm-hmm. like that are like yeah that's not the where where the Literally, where the nomenclature doesn't end at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, literally, is like, mm-hmm. are they, how aware is the market and the, like, because even the 11 acetate, like, it's tetrahydrocannabinol oacetate. Right. Yeah. So those are like, you know, and things like that. Like, I, I don't. It I, does. It's tricky. I'm thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, what would be the Because it's all literally verbiage. Mm-hmm. They could just say CB1 activity. Because that's in the cannabimetic law. But that that gets really even CBD would be captured gets, in that. I was about to say that would be because really, it's an allosteric modulator. And and there are like tons well, of flavonoids. Well, an agonist. Yeah, there are tons of flavonoids that are. Well, CB1 so I can say so. that there's already I'm seeing an insurance policies verbiage that says that you can't that they're trying to catch anything that even acts on the opiate receptors. And that's so dangerous. Like, and I'm like to not they won't insure shit. And I'm like whoo. That's like yeah. You don't even know what that represents. That's like all the food and you're right. That represents a. Drastic misunderstanding (laughs) of how like drugs work and stuff. But it's like, like, but that's what I mean. A little bit of knowledge is dangerous. Yeah, it is. It is. You're right. Yeah, I I think starting with tetrahydrocannabinols is an easy way to, um, at least make it maybe make a list of other compounds. Yeah, like maybe maybe and then like not THCP and like Mm -hmm. yeah, and maybe they'll even say this includes. These, 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 and similar compounds or something. Or analogs. Yeah. Yeah, the Analog Act. I don't like that. Um, it's good. They may even throw something in there that's like, and any other compound that is shown to exhibit intoxicating or psychoactive or yeah. some word like that. Mm-hmm. They may do that. Um, do it's th- going to be some variation of that, I think. Do you think they're going to adjust to the THC limit if they adjust the definition of I THC? I hope they expand it to 1%. I mean, I'd like it to be higher, but I think 1% is a logical number. I, I, yeah, I wonder if they will. I agree. Um, part of me wonders if they're going to, like, really uh, I think they'll raise it for farming, maybe... not for products. Yeah, I think that's that makes, that's what needs to happen. And also, like, the farmer should be more protected, and then the, the product manufacturers are the ones that should be responsible on getting the dosing to be... Oh my gosh, this makes me think about a whole other problem that we haven't even touched on. What's that? Well... So when you extract CBD from flour, <laughs> yeah, 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 you you jump the numbers rivers up. from you and you people remediate it out. But the thing is that, that legally, exists. the moment well, the thing is, is there's no such thing as making controlled substance and then making it not a controlled substance. 
if you do not have a DEA permit, yeah, then even removing that THC doesn't make this not a controlled substance anymore. Right. Even though there's no THC in it, it is still controlled. Yeah. You've taken the Delta 9 THC out of it, but the federal government does not consider that a contr- not no longer a controlled substance. You went from an uncontrolled flower, made a controlled extract, and then everything, you've taken the THC out of it, but that. everything from that's still controlled. Yeah, yeah. And you violated the law making it. So you yeah. made a controlled substance, and then you and still the, have a controlled substance, and you put that CBD, it's still a controlled substance into food. And the it DEA not, tried to um, they tried to push on this a little bit. They kind of issued several memos they, like, around the same Basically, they told, time. they warned everybody, and like, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's coming. Yeah. They, like, they, it's still, like, kind of just looming out it there. It is. They did. It, it's, they well, because they started letters. licensing people, hemp companies, for for this now. So there's companies that are getting DEA licenses mm-hmm. for THC remediation. Yeah. Because it's the same thing, like, if you want to destroy drugs. Even if you want to just burn a drug, you can't right. do that. You exactly. can't legally do that. Yeah. You have to have a DEA permit yep. to destroy a drug legally. So so anything you're doing is still illegal, even if well, you... Well, this so... even affects the cannabis testing labs, you know, because they're in this position now of needing to get DEA licenses, and it's awkward. Even the hemp testing. Well, and that's right. like, exactly... It's like they're already handling, technically, you know, controlled substances. Um, it seems... This is something I mentioned in my comments to the FDA, and I mentioned in my comments to the White House when I spoke to the White House last year, yeah. and when I spoke to the DEA. These are the exact things I said. My comments when I wrote comments to the laws, or for the bills and things, and for the... Uh, comment for the regulations was that they, that they should just allow cannabis testing mm-hmm. labs across the country to become certified by the DEA for testing because they're not manufacturing, they're mm-hmm. testing the safety of products and testing so we have data and there's no, they are not actively participating in spreading controlled substances. Right. Yeah. They're trying to protect our citizens. It's, they're literally and, the closest thing to a gatekeeper for public health and safety. And so is. we should be helping them, not hindering them. That was like yeah. that was one of my biggest. But now things there's, on that. you know, it's like there's a mixed bag. Like some labs are scared to apply because there's been a precedent before. I mean, labs have gotten raided for pursuing DEA licenses. Well, because you then are because you're admitting you have a controlled substance. Yeah, like straight up. And so because possessing it's illegal. There needs to be clarity from the DEA around that. Um, I know that it's the environment has changed a lot because I know labs that are applying for DEA licenses that already work with cannabis and there doesn't seem to be a threat. I know someone who's worked in one that has gotten it. I don't want to say, but yeah, Yeah. it it is changing, changing, but it's technically, technically the rules like right. haven't the law changed. hasn't changed. So, yeah, exactly. So, so it's like right. they're allowing it, but they could just be like, no. Right. They could change their mind. Or they could just be like, moment. it's like, why are they letting some people and not others? I mean, like, well, or... and this, this relates to the overarching uh, getting out of hemp, but just talking about like cannabis and th- the THC side, like all of that still technically just hangs in this like very delicate, you know, system that could go away at any moment if you know, the wrong people just decided they didn't want to allow it anymore. Well, exactly. And then, oh God, that's crazy. But like, and on that, like on the hemp side, I think that the farm bill will resolve that though. I think that's what made me bring it up is that I think that we'll end up with is a different THC standard for, for people who are uh, cultivating and then a different THC standard for products and a different THC standard. And then basically just an allowance for the manufacturing to just do whatever or, like a rule that says you have to have DA licensing, but that the DA has to create a specific license for that, yes. or some yeah, some yeah, yeah. Vol- some, some, some pathway. Like and then and, like yeah. that T and then that THC is being remediated should be going into 
medical products, but I know it's not even federally legal yet. So, right. so there's, or, there's, or should be going into research, in my yeah. opinion. Those I think, should all I think, be pulled out I think going into research. research is the immediate thing because that's there's already a legal pathway That's what I suggested that. in my comments to the yeah. DEA. Especially that, if, eh. if the labs have DEA licenses, then they can work with universities who also have DEA exactly. licenses and and other research organizations. And I know groups have... that can't get access to it for research now. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I know some that would love to get access to stuff right now. But the government would just be like, here, yes. Yeah, and you know, just universities have to be really careful because they're so reliant on federal funding and stuff and their contracts. I mean, they're, you know, federal research projects and stuff. It's all intermingled. And so, you know, I totally get why, um, you know, I get the, the struggle on the university side to do research. And I've, I've worked with a couple that are, trying to get like hemp research programs going and it's you know it's a slow process um just trying to navigate the risk and understand like how much have things changed and like if we develop a program and start like trying to fund this like are we going to put any other programs at risk you know and what if a student like is doing research and i don't know does something you know that they shouldn't uh, maybe what if they make Delta 8 or something, you know, whatever, you know, all of these questions are now being asked. And so to be able to create some clarity around all of that. Like, yeah, that whole, the whole product manufacturing pathway, yeah, those THC limits and that, I think that will, those will definitely be things that are going to be addressed in my opinion. How, again, just like the definition of THC, there's some options. Like mm -hmm. it's one of these kind of like three or four types of like, you know, it's like, I think it's the same thing. Yeah. Each of those sub things has like a different way it could go. Will the DA create a license? Will they mandate the DA to create a license and, and give it to those people? Will they create a law that, will they make a thing that says that cannabis testing laws aren't technically in possession when they're doing right. humans? Will they, or like, or are allowed to, or there's going to be all the, like, there's going to be like lots of, there's lots of little, there's, mm -hmm. there's not one solution to these things. No. There's, there's different ways it could work. And so it's like, and when, especially when you get government involved, like yeah, who knows? Know, like it's yeah. like trying to dictate it's what it's like t playing a terrible game of telephone too because you're like trying to get a message in to have an effect on a law or something <laughs> but it's traveling through so many different like ears and everything to get there by the time it gets written down on something it's like a weird distortion that's of... why i try and just be like like it's going to be something like this and it could be one of these things that as we get closer we'll know more yeah because you'll start seeing things emerge yeah and there'll be probably some preparatory events i imagine that like you know, one thing that I've been thinking about is I, I firmly believe the FDA and the DEA are holding out on enforcement until after 2022 because then because it cause they don't want to deal with lawsuits and things that stem from the gray areas around the farm bill as it stands. Well, exactly. It's, it's easy yeah. enough for them to be able to send out memos and letters so that they later can say we told you so. Um, the FDA going back to, you know, talking about the IND status exactly. of CBD and everything. I mean, that goes back all the way to 2015 and before, but like 2015 was like, because that's a year after 2014 when the first farm bill that really brought him forward happened, you started immediately seeing them send letters to people and people get caught up in like, well, no, those letters were about like, they were promoting like drug, uh, health claims, claims and stuff, yeah. but like you've got to read like you know it'll just be a paragraph in there but it explains you know in detail their interpretation about the drug status and everything well there's and, a whole fac on the website that's been up there since like 2010 yeah and every letter that an fda uh that the fda sends to a, a manufacturer a warning letter every letter says and there may be other violations that you've committed that are not featured on this report well, and they pick the people they pick to send letters to on purpose to send messages to the yeah entire industry. and you notice they, choose, they choose a handful 
and to send different messages and it shocks it sends waves through and it's yeah. always funny to me i'm like they're just like oh they're a problem this this type of thing's a problem <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. well i get it because they expect because they don't want to be heavy-handed yeah, yeah. they don't i guess people think they do they could be a lot worse yeah oh they, they could <laughs> be and you know it's also important to remember that the fda is not always this like separate thing like the fda contracts uh people in your state to interact with you so like your food oh, safety yeah, inspector that you get your ODA food safety license in with, like yeah that person could also be your fda inspector <laughs> you know so like keeping that in mind like the fda isn't always this like outside thing um and so well, and i think the other thing is like you don't need a lot of money to interact with these entities mm -hmm. people think you do but it's just businesses can pay people or rich business, you know, high, high corporations can pay people like me who have been through these processes and learned the yeah. gatekeepers and learned the rules and they learned the ways to access the information and access uh, the people and the pathways yeah. to get these things done. And it's just knowing that there's these pathways that these things work this way. And that's how you, and it's if like you contact, building a roadmap. <laughs> yeah. And so they just shortcut it. And yeah. like, yeah, there's lobbying, there's that side of it. But like, I've gotten meetings with the governor of Washington. I've, yeah. and it's not, I didn't pay anything. I didn't do anything. You just reach out. And believe and... me, I've said some things he really didn't like. Um, and with other people, like Gordon, maybe he didn't really like, but wasn't like the nicest things I could have said to him. Yeah. <laughs> because like, I'm not, you know, my goals are to achieve trying to get things done. And I don't, you know, like it's not, it's not like I was horrible, but it's like, I'm just blunt about things. Right, and I'm right, not trying yeah. like just straightforward. And uh, it's just, you have to just keep calling and writing your legislature. And it's like, when you care about these things, it's like, you know, how do you interact with it or manipulate it? It's like, you just have to keep doing it. Yeah. Go to your city council meetings, go to your, your Participate. meetings. Yeah. Write letters to your, to the people at the, and the only thing is like, don't be a dick when you're talking to people. <laughs> yeah. Like when you like it's... call them, like you can be really uh, forceful about your opinions, but then like, I always try and like stop myself and be like, listen, I know that you don't, we all don't have complete power over what the things are happening. These mm -hmm. things are this way. I'm just really passionate about this, so excuse me if this sounds like I'm angry. I'm just frustrated about this situation, like right. things like that. They're not, and they they don't dislike passion. Yeah, they actually want you if if they care about their position. They actually often um, like that people are participating, that they're actually participating in government and like sharing an opinion, uh, especially if it goes beyond just like writing an email. Um, well, and if you can communicate your views in a way that's not that you're actually like they want that because they need input and they like, most of the time they want to know what their consumers feel yeah, because exactly. otherwise they end up having things blow up at the end of their face. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> they want to, they would like to get reelected. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So um, it's it, it's weird because people think that everyone at these like these monolithic entities that are just controlled and i'm like you have a lot more control over it than you do people just don't want like, to spend the energy to interact with these entities or they're scared of them or yeah and i think a lot of people um spend or just don't you know, think they have the pas ability they're passionate and they spend a lot of energy trying to affect change but they spend all of their energy on the totally wrong things it's like when the farm bill came out and people got so upset about the thc limit not changing um, everyone wrote all these letters and organized campaigns to the USDA. And it's like the USDA's rules have to match oh. the farm bill. Like they can't make rules that go against the farm bill. Well, that's the same thing <laughs> with the FDA for the food. It's right. like, you're like, everyone keeps being mad. That's so why I keep saying like, like your Congress, legislature, your like... legislature, your legislature. And the and guess what? The president can't 
pass a bill. He yeah. just signs it. Yeah, right. He appro- he passes like and approves it. He signs it or Congress sends it back has for to, people yeah, to... like they have to write it. Yeah. Like exactly. Congress is really like the whole problem. Right. Like, like that's where the attention has to be. It's them. Like your local representative who serves in Congress, whoever yeah. that is, is you should be bugging the living hell out of. Yeah, educate <laughs> them, like help them understand the, uh, and they don't know about cannabis. That's the other thing is like is uh, like you said like it really is it was it Occam's razor. Yeah. Uh, um essentially uh is that uh, don't try to explain with malfeasance or evil what can be explained by simple ignorance. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like uh you don't always have to um presume that that someone is is operating from a you know a, a standpoint of of um you know uh just hate or control. yeah like trying to like keep this industry from flourishing or whatever you know and part of this comes from i grew up just around so much government like both from like my parents being teachers and being involved in like government stuff with schools and then later in college like in the natural products labs and the university and and seeing funding stuff all this these different things like i just don't really think of it anymore in this sense of like uh, the FDA is, you know, only trying to support big pharma and wants to crush cannabis because cannabis can do away with all these pharmaceuticals. Like that whole narrative. There's like, just a set of pathways that people don't know. It's like with CBD. Well, guess what? CBG isn't an approved drug. Someone could be doing all all the things that Charlotte's yeah. Web did yeah. if they, instead of doing it with CBD, had you done it with CBG, would have gone completely through. Right. Would have had not a single problem. <laughs> that's like, And that's what's infuriating to me is like, yeah. well, everyone keeps, because they don't know these roadmaps or know yeah. the rules, you're blaming, it's like playing a game and you don't know the rule. You go to Vegas, you don't know how to play 21. Right. You think you're playing 11 and yeah. you keep losing. Right. And then you're blaming the, the casino. Yeah, I mean, that, that's like kind of it with me. It's like the, the rules are there. You don't want to read them and then you're mad that you're losing. Uh, and a lot of it too is like wishful thinking. Like people read the rules, but they read the interpretations they want, not the realistic interpretations Whoa. that, you know, other people are going Removing to. Removing bias from all <laughs> things and desires when yeah. interpreting is, and having been a journalist, yeah, right. that was like, like, like the goal was like, I want to be able to express both sides of the view. And they have both of them, on, or three or four or five, and then have their views, and then separately have a, like, like other part of the view. Yeah. And then, for me, it's like, and that was what I do as a journalist, but then for me, it's like, I want that center view. Yeah. Like, yeah. and that's what I want to make my decision on, where it's like, take all of that information and make this yep. thing. And, yeah, and try to make the best decision Remove you can what that, you that tries to get at your actual intended goal in the best way to possible. Me, gambling is a good example. I might like... Uh, I'm in Seattle, so I might like the Seattle Seahawks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I might know they're playing somebody like the <laughs> like, that's gonna, gonna you know lose. like the you know I don't even know who's good at this point right yeah. now. It's been so bad. Yeah. But uh, let's say the Rams, and I know that they're gonna lose. Well, if I'm gonna make a bet, I'm not gonna bet on them, even though I might go to the game and still hope and right. and hope that the Rams win. Because if your goal is the, to make money by betting, on yeah, who's like, then win. I'm not gonna bet on like <laughs> on my wishes. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's like, but I mean, people do though. That's the thing yeah. is, people make bets on their wishes, not even in business only, but also in in sports and things, and that's why gamblers lose. Well, especially the, <laughs> I know just from like the consulting I do with helping people with compliance stuff is people that are not accustomed to reading rules and stuff because you know it takes a little while to kind of get calibrated to the way that 
rules and regulations kind of present themselves and the language that's used and everything, a lot of people think like, okay, I need to know, you know, what's the rule on XYZ. They go look through the rule, try to find a reference. They read a little bit Uh and gain their like understanding based on that limited interpretation of that limited bit of the rule that they read without getting the full context of how the entire rule functions as a whole and how it connects to other rules and other things. And so, um, and, you know, I think there's a big learning curve that unfortunately is going to hurt a lot of smaller operators that, um, you know, are super passionate and jumping into the space because they want to like be involved and, and make, you know, products that help people and stuff. But if they're not taking the time to get educated or hiring somebody that like can understand this stuff and help them with it, um, they're ultimately not going to survive. Well, that's what I've been trying to tell everybody. So I'm like, I feel like I'm a dick in the industry kind know, of because I'm like Sometimes, crushing yeah. everyone's dreams always. I'm a guy who's like, but it's like, really just trying to show the pathway so people can actually get what they want and not fool themselves into thinking that they've secured like this awesome business that they want to dedicate their life to and then have it blow up in their face. And that is exactly years. it. Like I don't like, or it's like I'll say, or sometimes people get mad because I share science that frustrates them about cannabis or, or scares them or this or that. I'm like, I'm, I just want people to know the more likely realities of things <laughs> and be able to protect themselves from these risks. Yeah. If you don't know that there's risks, you can't protect yourself. I'm not yeah. trying to scare people. I'm not trying to, yeah. uh, to hurt people or make them worried or threat. Like, I just want people to know what. What's risks what? are ahead yeah. and be able to prepare themselves yeah exactly and hopefully people can you know maybe even just listening to this can kind of understand that um you know when we're talking about understanding like the fda's perspective and all of this like you know there's just a lot more to it than most people are commonly exposed to and so if you're diving into it and trying to understand how to think about the industry and how to prepare and everything you know it, it takes you really do have to like kind of put your passions aside and try to just objectively see the playing field. Like what game are we playing here and what are the rules? What are the, you know, and, and go from there. And, you know, I think this then segues to kind of the end of this discussion, which is like, how should people be thinking and preparing for the future? Um, like the next iteration of the farm bill. And I think something that you just, pointed on is is absolutely critical which is maybe like stop putting so much energy into cbd and put (laughs) a lot of energy into other cannabinoids not the thc isomers (laughs) but like take all of that energy and why don't you put it into cbg cbc um you know cbdv like get cb i already said cbdv is in the pipeline like it will be gw will be applying for investigational new drug status for that at some point, it's already been shown to have. Uh, I've been watching to try CBD. and catch up. I I wouldn't be. I, I keep expecting filings, and like I, like I don't even know where. Sometimes you even catch those because I don't even know a place where you can catch IND filings. Um, I don't. So that's something I've been trying to find. Actually, either, on that note, it usually sorry. just comes out at uh, in press releases. Exactly. Um, so, so it's one of those things where I'm like, I'd assume they press release it. Like so, I because I don't think it is. I think it's confidential. Yeah, it is until they until it until happens. It isn't. <laughs> um, yeah, and so. You know, it's already public knowledge that that CBDV is being developed. Like GW's made that known for years. Uh, That's I mean, it's in their pipeline. And so, in... so like you see that coming. You see the problem with CBD. You see that like 
you know, as much as we need to participate in government and everything, also maybe don't totally trust that your Congress, you know, that Congress people are going to get these rules written the way they need to be to, you know, protect things. So the louder you, you can do, be, you need the to better. get these things on the market quickly. That like too. they need to be, you know, yeah, get CBG, CBDV, CBC, all these other compounds approved as dietary exactly. ingredients. Exactly. Not just and get them in the market. Don't just them. grow them. Don't just make them into products. No, you've got to get them like show that they have been approved to be in these things. Then you're golden because then that argument can't be made for those things. And it's a lot more straightforward to, you know, you just then lean on Deshay and everything and go forward on how you want to well, use exactly. those products. And then the market's much larger and you don't have the situation you have where it's unknown. You have a, say, example, get a CBG or CBC approved as grass or as a food mm -hmm. supplement. And then you have things where you have Gatorade supplements mm -hmm. with CBD, with CBG in them right. and things like that. And you that opens up this that, that helps the farmer that helps mm -hmm. the processor that yeah. helps everyone and it, it provides stability like the industry especially for the on the farmer side because i know so many farmers like they need the industry to provide some sense of stability um because it's been so volatile they need a target like, yeah yeah it's just been a moving target the whole time and so you know focusing on that and then also like the can flavins you know oh my gosh um, yes and these other uh, compounds, there's also compounds in cannabis roots that people need to be Definitely. Uh, paying attention to. Um, there are even alkaloids. There are cannabis-specific alkaloids that have gotten, like, no attention, basically. Um, and, you know, so, uh, you know, there's a lot that people could be spending their energy on that the industry could be, like, being proactive about. Um, well, I mean... Hate to talk about myself, but we're with these farms, right. the company, we're the doing the, the leaf yeah. that's approved as a food item, and then the thing is, is for, like, that just opens it up to dried for tea, and then for you know leaf protein powder, yeah. and because it's thirty percent protein by weight, and so it's just like because I feel this way, I'm like well, like have fun with everything, have fun with that CBD flour, everybody, and like we're like doing this other thing. It's also my wife can't. Eat, doesn't eat meat and mm -hmm. trying to find a vegan like source of protein that has yeah. all of the amino acids is difficult mm -hmm. and all the essential amino acids are also in well, the leaves. So you start, like... start blending like um like uh like the leaves and the seeds together and you get into this amazing nutritional profile hence the uh, traditional indian yeah. drink of bong yeah yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um it's yeah i mean I, that's one reason why I, I like following what you're doing is because it it, there's there's forward thinking there that isn't obvious to a lot of people in the industry because they're so focused on um, resins and and all of that. And I love those. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, absolutely. But it's just the game is unclear. Like, that game is just not clear. And when you're trying to build a sustainable business that's going to be operating in this space for decades into the future and not just, like, five years into the future... Like, these are the things you have to think about. Like, how do we get cannabis as a commodity? Like, how do we get it into the market in a way that we have legal protections? Like, we're not worried that all of a sudden the industry is going to, like, just flip out next year and then we're out of business. You know, like, there's all... Well, it's also going back to, like, uh, you know, the the hemp, you know, hemp hours, no clothes and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like, the intention, the original promise of hemp. Yeah, was to be all of this and yeah. it is and can be all of these things and so it's frustrating for me also because it's like I, I love resins and all that but like we could be making biodiesel we could be making ethanol out of it we could be yeah, it can also so much, I'm yeah. from where Rockovich happened yeah, and yeah. 
it could be remediating that soil. It could yeah. be there's it, it solves so many problems. It's a, Close, I mean, there's just so many uses, and it's just it's so flexible, and so it's um, I'm just passionate about find utilize all of those. Methods. I mean, think think about what cannabis will be bred into over time, given its multifunctional nature. It's already being bred into into hops. I know someone who has a combination of it, which I'll give you a little bit more oh, info. And I'll, in cool. a future, someone that I will get you to do a future episode with. I hope. Abs- absolutely, I've been waiting for that. I have known people that I've played around pictures. with it. Um, it's here in Seattle. Maybe we can get a tour. That'd be awesome. That's really cool. Sorry, um, I just like this yeah. discussion. Like literally, it's like my brain's like. Because it is, it is. I mean, you know, like we think about, you know, the common example in agriculture is like looking at like broccoli and Brussels sprouts. Oh my gosh. All the things and how that all relates to one common That is like my exact, that's my pitch when I'm meeting with people. It's like because one species is all of these things when you breed it for the different parts or the different, or different use for that part. And that's. It's like, it's beautiful to right. me. Yeah, like what we know of cannabis, which elegant. cannabis elegant. is already... Elegant, not just beautiful, it's elegant. Cannabis has already gone through that to some degree, just in the separation of fiber crop and resin crop, you know, and we have these distinct... And seed crops. And we, yeah, we have these distinct morphologies and things associated with those uses, but that's just the beginning. I well, mean... Well, that's... <laughs> we're, we're working on breeding it for a variety of different reasons for leaf, so for protein extraction or for... Mm-hmm salad greens or for so we're and you can, yeah, you can be so analyzing the chemistry of the leaves exact, and dialing production oh, we are. For it's those crazy. other compounds yeah and, and and then also like you know protein content or yeah. fiber or and how you've got like phytosterols and stuff oh my gosh that, yeah it's that, incredible that can it's, help with uh you know um there's more calcium and... than there is in milk yeah. by weight there's more <laughs> potassium and magnesium than banana yeah like it's such an amazing and that's belief i mean there's more fi- there's more protein in the dried fiber than there is in um, like alfalfa. Yeah, the key is getting people to consume the like figuring out how to introduce it. Like I think a protein shake idea is really great because it's like it has those things, but it's like by weight. So it's like okay, how do you get people to consume the dry enough, enough is the way because the... it creates it by thirty percent at that point. So yeah. it's just protein. So, it's, so, yeah, so it's consu- super dense. Yeah, you've got to like get people to consume the right flowers. Not flour like flowers, but flour like F L O U R. Right, right, right. Is the, is the next yeah. is because the powderized dry leaf is so nutrient dense. Yeah, and so people like mix that with like cricket flour, and you have like oh a my super gosh. protein. <laughs> well, so they're literally making breads with it now in these yeah. restaurants that we're working with, and so it's in pastas, and yeah, and then you also by having the fresh though, you can also juice it. Yeah, and so yeah, all yeah, these yeah. Like, there's all these. And I know lo- plenty of people that juice uh, cannabis leaves. I imagine and love like, it. that's we're hoping by the end of the year to be scaled at Whole Foods and things, so we'd be able to have people to be able to do all of that. Like anyone will be able to just go purchase yeah. the leaves, like you would salad greens, and then yeah. juice them or do whatever you want with them. It's like I we've slowly been scaling it, but like like I just can't wait till everyone just go to home, like yeah. walk into like a, your regular grocery store, and, and also the normalization effort yeah, exactly, of that yeah. by everyone growing up just seeing cannabis leaves on a shelf. Yep. At like every grocery store in America. Yep. Like that will that change this will. country. Yep. It will change the, you know, the cannabis leaf is the most, one of the most iconic images uh, in our culture. Like even if no one uses cannabis, if someone doesn't use cannabis at all or anything, they, they know still, what that leaf they is. know what that leaf is. And driving a change in the cultural perception of that iconography is uh, pretty cool to think about that like in the future people might see that leaf and not think like 
you know, drugs. using cannabis. Yeah, yeah drugs. Yeah. yeah, but instead they'll see it and be like, oh yeah, like I, I eat that in my shakes and in my pancakes and in my you know whatever. Oh, and this and house is salads. made out of it. And, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, I'm wearing it on my shoes. Exactly. And... Yeah, yeah. My uh, my cars run on it. <laughs> my my mask that I you know have to wear when I go indoors and places and stuff is made out of hemp. Oh, you know? half of mine are as well. I have the shoes I was wearing yesterday are a hemp and algae blend. The soles nice. are algae, so cool. yeah. algae lipids with yeah. and hemp lipids combined, and then algae. So, so talking about like useful crops, algae is one of these things that oh my god, like, biodiesel and... is like so interesting and has a lot of uses that um, like even as that's a food... an obsession of mine actually. So that's funny that you yeah really oh it's one of the so yeah well they did a lot of testing for it in the salt and sea region mm-hmm. for obvious and because you can get a, it's one of those things I also like think you could scale production of because mm-hmm. in like a lot of regions because. It doesn't actually need that much water. Yeah, it does, but it doesn't like yeah. for, its, for the amount of biomass it creates, it doesn't. Yeah, it need, mostly just needs the nutrient load, right? Yeah, well, exactly. It's just it only. Yeah, exactly. So you just need the water to have the nutrients. So yeah, I mean, but like I always like I would almost imagine like thirty long, like the equivalent of like um, pool covers, mm, but like mm-hmm. filled with algae growing in them, and so you yeah. could just like hang them in sheets in like the desert. Yeah. Yep. Instead of solar panels. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's, it's like kelp forests, right? Yeah, that's like yeah, literally yeah. what I yeah. like is like yeah, the like same forest. idea is like kelp forest, but like on land. Yeah, yeah. Like find a way to like do that, and like by putting them inside something that could contain it. And algae makes some like interesting chemicals. That's what um, for energy production is like a lot for the oils. Yeah, because they already like that was an oil replacement that was a huge driving factor, and they they had some amazing varieties that were close to it during the oil embargo. Yeah, in the seventies, and then like once that ended. They destroyed all of it. <laughs> like, and you know that? They destroyed all of it. Wow. They destroyed all that research. Jeez. I did not realize that. All That's those crazy. bio, all the, all those cells and all the organisms, they gone almost. Yeah, no, so it's one of my frustrations. It's like you find out things like that and you're like, <laughs> like why millions of dollars just flushed down the toilet. I know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's like, that's the things I'm like, I, when you read research side things, sometimes you find those and you're just like, why? And then you find out about that. Well, well, right. we really needed it for a little bit because oil was going away, which yeah, like is going to little, again in the yeah. future. Yeah. But like, <laughs> and yeah. so we studied all this, and then we didn't need it because that problem was solved momentarily, and now it's coming back. But we, and I think that happens a lot. We just like, yeah, we solve problems and don't remember that we yeah. solved that problem, and then like thirty years later, we're like, how do we fix this? Humans have short memories. I mean, we really do. It's um, and that's why I'm like hoping cannabis can. Like, all these things, it's, like, going back to, like, I said, the hamper in our schools. Like, we've talked about all the, like, mm-hmm. this is, uh, or there's been people like us who have talked about yeah. the many uses of this in the past. Right. <laughs> many people, yeah. And so it's, like, I I don't want to seem like I'm, like, or like we're, like, these are new ideas no, either. Yeah, it's really, I just consider myself more of, like, uh, and I've always thought of myself as, like, in the educator role. It's more of, like hiking down these trails and I see all these things and I just want to point them out to other people. It's not that I'm the first person to ever notice these things or talk about it or anything, but it's like I'm trying to facilitate someone else's path down exactly. these trails so that they have a better experience, um, you know, than they would otherwise. I mean, that's that's at its core how I think about it. Well, I just um, I want to help other people understand so they can make better decisions right. or, or protect themselves and better. And like you said, like any of the negative stuff we talk about and that I talk about on the podcast and stuff, whether it's around like, you know, politics or risk with cannabis use or whatever, like it's never coming from a position of like trying to discourage the industry or like anything like that. It comes from the complete opposite. 
direction of like, I actually do care about these things. Like cannabis is a big deal to me. Natural products in general is a big deal to me. It's like, I've kind of dedicated my whole life to this, like in the sense of like trying to understand the chemistry of nature, how it affects ecology, how it affects human health and stuff. Like on the science side of my life, like that is my focus. And so of course I'm not like trying to discourage people from engaging in uh, the cannabis industry or anything like that but it's just like you also just have to know where we're at in our place and time and with our legal structure and what the risks are and and move i think it's just necessary to be educated on these on these things to move intentionally and mindfully through the industry um and so yeah and i just don't want to see i would love to see more small companies you know, that share passion for the plants and everything to be successful. Same. And it's, that's one of the things I like how people hate government or, you know, being involved with things, but I wish that the things that I have roles, I see government could be on the surface to create facilities that, or, you know, or infrastructure, if you will, that could be utilized by smaller businesses. Yeah. I mean, it also could be used by larger businesses, but then by doing things like that, you start removing the barriers exactly, to entry the barriers to and entry, so you yeah. level the playing field for everybody yeah the government will create these things that everybody that's going to be making things needs yeah if anybody wants to make these things then we need this yeah so the government will make that and then people can use that we make roads right, right. <laughs> yeah. we you know like there you know so why like i don't see it as that big of an extension of that it's mm-hmm. and it's otherwise you end up in a situation where People with more money can compete exactly. with other people, and so otherwise, it's like I'm I'm not a like I say I hate capitalism because I hate this, mm-hmm. uh, and like I'm like we could be working together in a way. And I'm like, eh. like do I hate individual property ownership? Like I don't necessarily like it in the way it is, but like could there be a way where people own things and then we work together in those types of ways? Like well, when this- I say communism or socialism, like it's like. It also is like separating those ideas from what we think of them as. It's like right, 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 right. Using I just mean like this stage pure, of pure term. Than yeah, the, like the idea of sharing share, communism is in terms of sharing community. things to work together in a community. Yeah. Socialism is more like you know shared ownership of things, and then I mean it gets way right. more complicated when you start getting into because people have all these layered meanings on what these oh, things mean. Oh, absolutely, especially with the way media like twists all the terms and stuff now. So but I like, just want to preface it because I know at times I say things against capitalism or this or that, but it's just, <laughs> I should say late stage capital. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, yeah, yeah, capitalism can take many forms and flavors and um, and it's it's evolving right now. And so, you know, this highlights on a concept that, that both you and I like talking about a lot, the role of community by reducing the barriers to entry, then small producers have the ability to, through community building, form their own niche and survive and do well, even if big companies with deep, deep pockets are also operating exactly. and and have their products, you know, out there. Like there's there's room for coexistence with these things as long as, like you said, the barriers of entry are low enough that someone can even play the game like that's that's the key is like how hard is it to actually enter the game why i like sharing this information is because Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm not trying to scare you but i want you to know where the barriers are and the later it gets in this (laughs) process the worse it gets because like if the proper things aren't being addressed and people aren't taking the actions they can take now then the companies with deep pockets are controlling things. Well, that's we like could, we're talking about with like yeah. getting these things through the CBG and things through yeah. 
like though because we are afraid of the large deep pockets <laughs> controlling it like right, that's yeah. what is that is our fear and yeah. so we're like hey like i've actually proposed to the hemp industry association and others like trying to get a industry collaborative group to get grass studies done or yeah. food or supplement a... studies on these companies. I've been pushing yeah. and put because, because I see this and it's just no everyone wants to own their own thing. Everyone wants to control everything. And so no one like and thinks they're gonna be the ones to do this it. Is, and so like, then you end up in this situation where everyone thinks they're gonna do it. So because no that they all outcompete each other and then all these small people just kill each other and then this one giant guy comes in and does it and smashes everybody. And it repeats and repeats and That's repeats. And, and that happens in other and industries, it's like, stop, too, because like, I see that work in, together. like, the... Uh, Just work together. I see that in the, like, organic farming, permaculture, regenerative agriculture space, too. Like, I did that um, it's, it's, interview on Isn't Life Curious with um, Mark Shepard, you know, that has, like, one of the best examples of, a, like, a scaled permaculture system um, that is also kind of, like, pragmatic, like, you know, trying to operate and everything. And, you know, in order to survive, what they had to do is form a collective um you know that was necessary so finding all these farms dedicated to the same principles bringing their resources together and they were able to form one of the largest um organic co-op uh entities that i think still exists i can't remember the the name of it no but, man is an island but yeah and so that's how they were all able to survive and have the quality of life and the lifestyle and the type of production that they wanted is they had to stop seeing each other as competitors and start recognizing that like the only way for any of that to be possible pragmatically is for them to all work together and um, and communicate and share and it's working. I, and that to me, that's the future of this industry if it's going to yeah. work for the smaller groups in the industry and for the majority of the industries and things will happen faster if we do. Like, yeah, absolutely. The amount of money that went into like their their CBD thing or shots web. We could like the the entire like we should be creating working groups as whole like around these things and being like we're gonna have this percent CBG with this mixture this cultivar and we're gonna get it approved as a supplement and do a mass fundraiser yeah. everyone fundraises it and then we do the talk studies on those get it approved as a supplement and then there's a baseline product that everyone can access. Pharma, whoever, or not pharma, but like a big supplement maker, you want to use it, go for it. Right. Like it's little new. guys, you want to do it, like you can add your own spin on it. Like, But, but everyone has it. And it's like as, salt. Yeah. Like what, it's people, like everyone can use salt. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or vitamin C. You know, yeah, like, like you can go into a hospital and you can get an IV with vitamin C, you know, but also you can go to a store and buy vitamin C, you know, and take it. That's what my, I hope the future is. Yeah. I, I hope so too. Um, and. And hopefully it happens soon. You know, there's been a couple of uh, attempts at kind of trying to organize these hemp companies and everything. But I, my concern is that there's this, you know, just cash grab element that so many companies are entering the hemp space trying to, you know, kind of make money while they can and everything. It's, oh, it's, yeah. It's very... Uh, challenging but i hope that people listening that that really want to continue operating in the space and take it seriously like that's that is the way forward and by collaborating you know you could form collectives that can easily compete with large companies in terms of um, advocacy lobbying um but also uh like influencing market dynamics i mean and stuff. ocean I mean, spray was original with, yeah. i mean they've grown but like essentially is a collective yeah i mean there are some massive collectives yeah. And, you know, a, there shouldn't be a, you know, an aversion to that. And, um, yeah, I guess to, like, wrap all of this up, like, 
if you haven't already, go just look up the Food, Drugs, and Cosmetics Act and read through it, like, seriously. Like, there's parts of it you can skip that won't apply to you, but, like, for the most part, like, actually read it and get familiar with it because it affects your livelihood. Uh, read the Dietary Supplement Health Education Act of 1994. Understand what the actual definitions of dietary ingredients are, both, you know, um, old and new, and um, and also, you know, Deshaies also talks about um, you, the language you use to describe what dietary supplements do. You need to pay attention to that because that's what the FDA is primarily using to prioritize their enforcement targets as they're trying to see who's making ridiculous health claims and then also, you know, using all these other violations, um, you know, to put pressure on them. So be familiar with that. Also be familiar with the Controlled Substances Act because it affects it affects the hemp industry. The Farm Bill changes the Controlled Substances Act. You need to understand what does it change? What language does it actually affect? And how does that maybe relate to things like synthetically derived Delta-8 THC and Delta-10 THC and all well, these Especially because there's things like the Canada Medic section, yeah. which most people are unaware of. Yeah, I mean, like the Controlled Substances Act covers a lot. Like it's not just like look at the Schedule One list and if a chemical isn't listed there, then you're good. It's, it's way more complicated than that. Um, and so I'd say at a minimum, if you're participating in the hemp industry or the can cannabis in general, like you must be familiar with those three pieces of legislation at least. Um, and then beyond there, I think the big takeaways from here is like get involved and get involved like after getting familiar with, with these things, Get involved in ways that will best take advantage of your time and energy. Like, point your your uh, activities towards the people that can actually write changes to you know laws and everything, and help them understand what needs to actually change to support the industry, support farmers. A lot of these representatives, like, I mean, I'll even say just from talking to you know, people at the ODA and stuff, like, they want to see farmers supported more than anything. Like, small farmers, like, there's a ton of desire to see small farmers supported, but there's a ton of ignorance on how to do it. And so this is an area where, like, people that understand cannabis, understand the industry and everything, understand these rules. Like, you could actually have a chance, especially right now. Before 2022. Before 2022. There's a unique moment right now to help your representatives understand the problems and so that when there's talk about the language to use to correct these things or, you know, steer things in a better direction, um, it'll be, you know, far more impactful um, and long-lasting. Because ideally, we don't want to be in a situation where we're having to rely on changes to the Farm Bill every four years. Um, you know, we'd like to get something that's solid that can protect people and provide a pathway, you know, where, yeah, we're going to continue making fine-tunings, but, I mean... Right now, we're waiting on fairly substantial, um, you know, changes that are going to radically affect the industry, and and that's just not sustainable for small businesses, especially. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's I think those are the big takeaways. I don't know if you have anything to add um, to kind of like summarize what we've been going through, but I guess the other thing is, yeah, focus on to, yeah the people who can actually, as you said, change the laws. You may be upset, the FDA, the DEA, the people, but they're simply a manifestation of the rules that are created by the people uh, you elect. 
Yeah. And so and not only that, but most of them have no ability to do anything that you're trying to get them to do. Right. And it, so it's really is your city council person. It is your county board of supervisors. It is your state governor. It is your state, but even more so than your state governor, it's actually the state representatives. Yeah. And then the U.S. representatives. Yeah. And you and write them before, like you said, before this happens. <laughs> Tell them what you think and why. Not just to say, I want this. Yeah, explain, explain why, it why it matters. Yeah. And so that way they can, because they need to understand. And if they understand why it makes them as passionate about these things as you are. Yes. Yeah, you can exactly. get champions in the legislation. Uh, they, as much as I've said stuff about people in different places, um, Blumenauer in Oregon is a good example of one of the most passionate cannabis lobbyists yeah. at the federal level there is, and he's a representative. Yeah. Uh, or is he in the Senate? I don't remember. But he, <laughs> one, I, I'm not from Oregon, so caveat there, but... He is incredible in terms of supporting this industry. About at first, I mean, not saying there aren't others, but he is yeah. one of the most outspoken. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and so I hope this has been helpful to people. I know there's a lot of people trying to wrap their minds around where the hemp industry is going and everything. And and I'll also say that, like, you know, we've been talking about what makes sense to us based on our understanding of all of these dynamics, but. Uh, things don't always progress in a logical manner. And so just because like these are necessarily, you know, the things that we kind of expect and, and look forward to and everything, things could go totally differently. Um, you know, so kind of take what we say and, and keep that in mind too, that um, we may see something totally different than, than what we expect. But so far I haven't been that surprised, honestly, like the, the things that, come out interpretations and memos and rules like it's all stuff that i generally have predicted and so i feel like our intuitions about where this is going to go is probably fairly accurate at least on a general level i think the you know the things we've talked about are the main things that'll be focused on it's just kind of like you said it comes down to language like what specific words do they it actually use really matters once it's in a law yeah. like very small change i mean I've seen situations where commas matter. Yeah, yeah, for real. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, it's, I mean, it's, oh, God. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and the final piece of this, and I really hope that anyone listening to this, that it doesn't apply to you, but if you have not read the 2018 Farm Bill, uh, go read that with a highlighter and, and study it carefully, especially uh, all of the sections, including the sections on testing. Um, that's going to be really important to pay attention to in the next uh, version of the farm bill because that's where the total thc issue comes up and everything you may want um, to actually look into getting a da license yeah our permit yeah. for remediation and product formulation yeah it's not i know that scares people but if you're in the hemp industry you're not doing anything wrong right you're not not like the growing cannabis is wrong but i mean in terms of what the federal government believes. right legally and yeah. so just start remove that fear they don't, they're not, if they wanted to come up to the industry, they would have. Yeah. I have spoken to the people who work between the USDA and the DA or in that working group. And even like you hear this old boogeyman thing with the DA, the DA just really see, like there's those intersections and they hate that because that makes work for them. Yeah. It's not out of like, they're just don't want to deal with it. It's not like they hate you, mm -hmm. um, but they have to. Well, so like they'd um, rather resolve it. So let's all like, what I'm saying is like, if you work with them and get licenses, mm -hmm. that solves it. That's not making a problem. That's right. solving a problem. 
So they would like everyone who's doing that to get licensed because then they don't have to deal with it anymore. Right, yeah. And you're just a licensee in the system that they know how to work with. Exactly. And they'll probably never have to deal with you ever. Exactly. Uh, they, that's what they want. <laughs> they don't want to deal with you. Yeah. And the main reason they've started to turn their eyes on Delta 8 and everything is it's because that's, that stuff is uh, making it into other countries. I mean, other countries have been complaining about the THC isomer issue. Um and, you know, so that's why you're starting to see more DEA action starting to kind of revolve around the hemp industry. And this just relates to what I was saying, the THC isomer thing. Like, if you're participating in that, I highly discourage you because it's not going to go anywhere uh, uh, that's that's going to be very beneficial to a lot of companies unless you're preparing for, like, uh, moving into like if you're in a state that actually has legal um, like THC rich cannabis and stuff I would expect all of that to get absorbed into that side of things and, and so if you're thinking along those lines then you know that's one thing but if you're jumping into the hemp I mean I had someone ask me just the other day they you know they had a, an opportunity to start making delta 8 and uh, they had a connection to like a bunch of gas stations and they're like we could easily make these products and get them into all these gas stations and everything and I'm like well beyond the fact that I I my interpretation of things is that's not even legal right now. Um, second is like enforcement is going to be coming within the next two years on a lot of this stuff as these ambiguities get um, sorted out, and then you're not going to have a business anymore. Uh, so and one thing I want to touch on that I I'm kind of uh, it's going to be on the verge of when this paper comes out. So is uh, Robert Strong and isn't one of the the, probably the leading cannabis vaping expert or inhalation mm -hmm. expert or, you know, at least in terms of like byproduct formation. Yeah. And, um, there's going to be new data coming out about acetates mm. and just like the THCO acetates and essentially they, early use of them may be also part of why E-Valley happened because they, guess what? Vitamin E acetate, not so much the vitamin E that's the problem. Yeah. I mean, it is a problem, but it's right. not as bad. It's, it's bad, but group. it's... But the acetates, yeah, those are really, really bad for your lungs. Yeah, and so they're finding that the vaporization of those is like horrific. Yeah, so they'll be. Imagine I haven't like seen the hard vinegar. data, but it's coming out. Uh, yeah. it's, it's this, this data is collection is done, so wow. it's something that just like when you're making these products. Uh, route of administration matters as well, and just mm -hmm. further administrating, like just, just to yeah. Because if you eat THC acetate, it's a pro drug for THC. But if you inhale it, it's a very different situation. <laughs> so, and so just also on this front, it's like why, like, as you're making these things, it's just, it's, it's just a really complicated space. And so like that, that part of it, yeah, like I don't, I, yeah, stay, I, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> yeah. I, there's just a lot of risk, you know, <laughs> a lot of my work with uh, companies on quality management stuff is making risk registers and evaluating risk and, and understanding how your company's, you know, leveraging your quality systems to manage risk and, when it comes to all of these, uh, Delta-8, Delta-10, uh, THCP, HHC, THCO acetate, like, there's just a, so much unknown and so much risk involved that, um, you know, I understand the passion to want to get involved, but, like, just wait a while. Like, wait some years until there maybe is a more known about some of these things, and there might be better pathways to make products with them. Um, you know, like with Delta-8, like... I think it's going to find its place in places, uh, medical and, and adult use cannabis programs. It's going to end up getting absorbed, you know, into that. Cause this is now making people realize like, 
oh yeah, our legal programs, like we need to make it more clear, like that also covers, you know, these other intoxicating or euphoric or whatever term they use, you know, components of cannabis and start to lump them in. So, um, you know, yeah, I just, I think just taking that like serious look at all of that and having some humility, like we don't know a lot about these, these compounds. And so we do need to be careful. And even the vape crisis, yeah, they just, there's, so much still being unpacked there. Um, it's fascinating to learn about like the THC acetate, um, you know, component that may play in there, but like, there's so much that's even come out, you know, just about like squalene, squalene, phytol, <laughs> all these different things. Um, you know, we keep learning more. And so rushing into, um, these kind of nebulous areas of the industry is probably not a great idea for long-term company uh, stability and risk management and you may have insurance companies that you know insurance companies are already weird about uh hemp companies um and you're probably going to start to see some very interesting things happen um along that as well um so just for multiple reasons yeah i just wouldn't get into all that but um anyway yeah if you anyone listening has like more questions about this stuff um feel free to send them my way. I'm happy to, you know, if there's stuff that we haven't talked about, um, it's probably stuff on like the cultivation side that, because there's like uh, controversies around sampling technique and everything that we didn't really get into. But um, I think, you know, the stuff that we did go into is kind of the more relevant, like most impact, high impact, both on consumer and producer side. Um, Yeah, I hope this was valuable. Uh, Wow, we went over two hours. We're good at that. Um, so yeah, everyone listening, um, yeah, stay tuned for this. You might see us talk about this more and, um, yeah, David, thanks so much for coming on again and, and chatting about this. I, hopefully this will, you know, at least impact one company out there and, and help them figure out how they want to move forward in this industry. Well, I hope so. And yeah, I'm, uh, excited to hopefully, you know, we can come back a year from now and <laughs> yeah, it's uh, right around a year from now, we should have an idea of what they're about to vote on. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We'll have to keep doing an ongoing commentary on this and, um, and then after it passes, I'm sure that'll be an interesting conversation to have too. Once we see what the final shakeout is and what's going to come from that, um, maybe we can give people a good heads up once we see, uh, where it comes Start a down. betting pool in January. Yeah. <laughs> Who's got What's the over-under? THC percent? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Over under on 1%. <laughs> but yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for, uh, for listening. And um, I'll connect with you again really soon. Stay curious and take it easy. Bye-bye. If you want to learn more about cannabis, check out the Curious About Cannabis book on Amazon.com and other major online book retailers. 